It's time for Twit This Week in Tech. Wow, do we have a great show. Shelly Brisbane, a newbie, joins us, but she's going to be great. Uh, Lisa Schmeiser's here. Larry Maggot, a, a longtime friend. I've got the new Apple Watch Ultra. We'll talk a little bit about that. The Serial Podcast claims its victory. And NyQuil Chicken, why the FDA probably should not have said anything about it. It's all coming up next on Twit. Podcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. This is Twit. This Week in Tech. Episode 894, recorded Sunday, September 25th, 2022. Juking the stats. This episode of This Week in Tech is brought to you by Shopify. Millions of the world's most successful brands trust Shopify to sell, ship, and process payments anywhere. Go to shopify.com slash twit, all lowercase, to start your free trial and get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. And by ExpressVPN. It's 2022. You need to use a VPN every time you go online. If you don't have one yet, visit expressvpn.com slash twit. Take back your online privacy today. Use our link to get three extra months free with a one-year package. And by ZipRecruiter. There are so many podcasts out right now, and it takes a team of people to bring them together. Whether you're hiring for a podcast or for your growing business, one place makes it easy. ZipRecruiter. And now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash twit. And by Audible. Audible lets you enjoy all of your audio entertainment in one app. Let Audible help you discover new ways to laugh, be inspired, or be entertained. New members can try it free for 30 days. Visit Audible.com slash twit or text twit to 500-500. It's time for Twit This Week in Tech, the show we cover the latest tech news with a panel of tech-aware reporters, people with their fingers on the pulse of tech, people like Larry Maggot, president and CEO of ConnectSafely.org. Hello, Larry! Hello, Leo. How are you? What the hell happened to your mustache? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, it's a very long story, but I'll make it very quick. So I, I was diagnosed with sleep apnea. Yeah. And one of the and so I and one of the things they told me I should do or not the doctors, but the, the Internet told me I should do is to put tape over my mouth. Yeah, I do the taping. So that, yeah. So I, yeah. Oh, yeah. You do. Yeah. Well, the tape didn't stick to the mustache. No, it won't. So I but it turns out the tape doesn't help me anyway. So you still do to that. Uh, I did it because I read a book called Bre- uh, Breath. Yes. Right. That's uh, the book I read. Yeah. And he's you know, that was a, it's a odd book. <laughs> yeah. Right. But his premise is, in a nutshell, breathe through your nose, not your mouth. Right. Right. Because your nose is filtering and, and, you know, air conditioning and stuff. And uh, if you breathe through your mouth, this is, he says the mouth is a backup for an emergency you shouldn't be using. So you've kind of got to get in the habit of breathing through your nose. But the problem is at night you're asleep, you're unconscious. So you just use, I use a little uh, 3M surgical tape. Try it with a mustache. It's more challenging. Yeah. Well, somebody actually, somebody, and I'll, I'll find this for you. Somebody... In our Discord, our Club Twit Chat sent me one for people with beards. Oh, it's a lot more right. expensive, but I'll, yeah. if you want to grow well, the anyway, mustache so, back. I bet so your wife's I happy. The, I stopped the tape and kept the kept. Did the you say, who off. are you, stranger? Well, people say I look younger. I don't think it's necessarily true, but if anybody wants to give me any compliments, I'll take them. So, 
you know. You actually look like George Goebel, but I don't, I won't, oh, no. I won't rub that in. Okay. Do you know? Wasn't he on Hollywood Squares? Yeah. You know, we George, should rearrange okay. the, we should have to rearrange the monitor. Tell me, tell me if, if he does not look, I'm going to show you a picture of George Goebel. Tell me if he does not look like George oh, no. Goebel. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> No, no, it's okay. You don't have to overlay the two. Ruin my day. <laughs> oh, he's cute. Uh, anyway, great to have you. Thank you so much for being here. Also with us, I haven't seen you in ages, Lisa Schmeiser. She's got a new job, editor-in-chief of No Jitter. Hi, Lisa. Hi there. In the studio. It's so great to be back in the studio. Nice. I, I'm so happy to see everybody in person here, too. Um, um, I've missed the crew. The only reason I allowed you to come in the studio is I thought you would bring Girl Scout cookies. That will be Q1 2023. Apparently it's the wrong time of year. Yeah. Well, we're selling we're selling nuts starting in October 1st, but not quite the same. You day. could have bring in Girl Scout nuts. Yeah. Well, they do they do the sales differently then. But Didn't come out right. The- <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's really upsetting. It's terrible. No, really. Hey, it could I'm, be worse. It could have been Boy Scout nuts. And then you'd really... <laughs> We'd have to stop the, the show and start over. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm well, just... We were talking. We were talking earlier about the you know FCC practices. Um, <laughs> do we need to worry about that on the show? Uh, yeah. Also, anyway, great to have you also Thank with you. us. As somebody who's never appeared on Twitter before, but has been a part of our shows for a long time. Shelly mm-hmm. Brisbane is here. You know her. I know from SixColors.com and Relay FM. She is a producer reporter for Texas. The Texas is it the Texas Standard? I think it is. We answer to either, but it is the Texas Standard, yeah. the National News Show of Texas. We like to say <laughs> that's very Texan, isn't it? <laughs> it's very Texan. I didn't invent it, but it is absolutely on brand, and I put it in my signature for that reason. The and National News Show for Texas. People, people read my emails when I say that. In, that in the is bottom. hysterical. Is it? Is it a newspaper or is it just a website now? It, it, no, it's a radio show. Uh, it's an it's a public radio show hosted at KUT Public oh. Radio in Austin. We are on thirty stations across the state of Texas. Oh. Uh, we do have a website which I ran for about five years. Uh, I no longer do that, uh, and uh, we're a podcast. So oh. if you're interested in the news of Texas, TexasStandard.org is where it's at. I think there's been a lot of news from Texas of late. Yeah. A little I'm bit, yes. We're getting kind of busy sense. down there. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad you're bussing your news up to the north now. That's great. Kidding. Texas Standard. Oh my God. I'm going to stay out of that. Kidding. Kidding. And just to to let you know, because I think it's important that uh, you know that Shelly does a lot of accessibility stuff because she is, she has low vision, which is a a great thing for us to have because a lot of times we try to talk about accessibility without any experience of what it's like to try to use technology mm-hmm. with a disability. So I'm really glad to have you on for that reason as well. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, and you have actually how many books on the, on this issue? Subject? Well, this is the 10th anniversary of a book I write called iOS Access for All, and I do that book each year with the new iOS, and so I'm magic, frantically working on the iOS 16 edition. I've written a whole bunch of other books just on tech generally and specifically Mac stuff, but for the past 10 years, my project has been this giant comprehensive guide to accessibility for uh, iOS folks. That must be a, a nightmare every time a new iOS comes out. That's a lot. I mean, nightmare is, is, is the way I want to say it on Twitter. And then, wait, wait, no, I want people to buy the book. Right. And, you know, be excited about it's a, it. It's a joyous uh, effort. A it's, labor. A, it's, it's a delightful thing. Every mm-hmm. time Apple adds new features, I'm like, yeah, bring them on. My sense is, though, Apple has paid a lot of attention to accessibility and iOS is mm-hmm. probably the premier platform uh, mobile platform for accessibility, yes? Yeah, it is. I think um, 
other platforms are coming along. And I also think that there is a tendency when I say things like that, that Apple is the leader for everybody to think, well, it's okay. They're done. It's completed. But that's, no. that's really not the case. There, there are obviously things that need to be improved. And then there are things that come along every year that delight and surprise us, which is what Apple wants to do. So um, it's, it's an adventure because I, I do try to say to people, it's not done. Accessibility is is a is, is a half baked cake, and uh, Apple just does a particularly good job of it, especially on the iOS platform. Less so on the Mac, but well, on the and iOS sometimes platform, they take good. a step back. I remember I got a lot of calls a few uh, versions ago when they took some features away from Siri, like uh, Siri read me my email. That yeah. uh, was a big, I think, mistake from an accessibility point of view. Yeah, that happens occasionally. Uh, more often, the issue with accessibility is some sort of bug because there's so much going on in the iOS operating system that uh, sometimes new features will cause a bug to exist in VoiceOver or to exist when you're reading Braille on a Braille display. And so those don't tend to be showstopper bugs. And so sometimes those bugs stay in a little longer than you would like. Yeah. And so there's a pretty active group of people out there, both beta testers and just consumers of this stuff that will let Apple know uh, what they think, and usually it gets resolved, but sometimes it takes a little while for that to happen. Last night, I had a new bed partner, uh, a rather large <laughs> wristwatch. I got the uh, Apple uh, Ultra um, wristwatch. It is. It does it look? It does. It, does, this, no. does this watch make my butt look big? Is it? Does it actually makes it look small? Doesn't it? It's a. It's a. It's a pretty hefty thing, but it's. You it's, could watch a TV show on that watch. Well, and wait, that's why I kind of like it. <laughs> like maybe not the Lord of the Rings TV show, no. but I feel like one of those HBO prestige dramas without yeah. dragons, you could totally watch it on yeah. that watch. <laughs> as long as there are no dragons. I mean, I'd consider it. I just like the idea that you can get large type on it. That makes me happy. Yeah. There's some people who want to think of it as an accessibility watch. I'm like, yeah, but I have tiny little woman wrists and I yeah. don't think I swear. No, me, yeah, it might not be great to wear, but it is a lot better to yeah. use this face. They for should give you Wonder Woman bracelets, actually. A hundred percent. Well, like it. Well, this is actually the thing is you take a look. The watch is a form factor that goes back a couple hundred years, right? So why aren't we updating our technology form factors for wearables to reflect what our stuff actually is meant to do as opposed to trying mm -hmm. to mash these previously unheard of tasks and processes into things that were invented to reflect okay. a much earlier metaphor. The computer, the I'll tell you why. Doing that forever. Well, <laughs> go ahead, Here's an example of a lady's fashion band on an Apple oh, Watch. Terrible. It doesn't look good. <laughs> no. It doesn't look, it's too thin. No, give us the Wonder Woman wrist cuffs. Oh, there you go. Wrist cuffs. Like, turn the watch into like a wrist cuff. Here's Make some, it here's some bling. You know, but to Lisa's point, Leo, if you think about the original Macintosh desktop, mm -hmm. what they were doing is they were taking a computer oh, I got one and using you. a very old, you know, physical um, metaphor, <laughs> yeah. moving it over to the computer and actually not necessarily because it worked better, but because people were familiar with it. Right. Yeah. yeah. So that's called skeuomorphism, right? And Was that's it, the thing yeah. we've kind of now started to eschew. Isn't it Xerox Park that really began to conceive of the desktop metaphor and start yeah. mainstreaming yeah. it back in the 70s? They had to do that yeah. because yeah. this was all, you know, I'm used to files yeah. and folders. Yeah. Uh, but now I think this is a, there you go. This is a very. Wow. Well, <laughs> ask anybody under the age this of 20. The furry leopard elastic cheetah printed beaded bracelet strap for the iWatch SE and Series Ultra. So how is this much? Thank you, no. <laughs> I don't know. Like make those beats do stuff like the technology in Wakanda. Oh, so you want both. <laughs> you, you you, you want, I want it to exist. I don't want to own it personally, but I want it yeah. to you exist. Want, you want to be yeah. a woman warrior with a watch. I'm just saying, I think a watch 
is like a horse buggy where it was a technology that worked really well for the demand it needed to meet. And what we expect to do with the technology we wear has changed substantially. That's why this is, and and this isn't a watch any more than the iPhone is a phone. Yeah, exactly. Uh, This is a technology device. And in fact, I can call Mm -hmm. people. I can send texts. This is actually a Dick Tracy watch. I can can be on a hike and listening to music without my phone, listening to music, make a call. Yeah. Uh, fall and and put. Set, you want to hear the alarm? Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Play it. This is, cover your ears, everybody. This and is, if you're in your car, you're not getting pulled over by the cops. Just to let you know, if yeah. the, if the cops' car is sounding like this, I'd be scared. This is. Uh, mm-hmm. I think Apple said what 88 dB. So it's not so much mm-hmm. intended to be uh, super loud as detectable. If you've fallen and the mm-hmm. and searchers know you're roughly in this area. You would yeah. set this off. You were saying there was a guy who had a heat stroke who passed away because yeah. he was feet from the, the the path. Yeah, it was a really sad case in Pleasanton last year where he was a distance runner. He went out. Stop. It was, it Stop. was too hot. Thank you. It was too hot. <laughs> he, he got heat stroke. <laughs> he passed out. And because it's really hard to find people when they fall into underbrush. Right. That's what this is for. Yeah. That's, it's basically to and, alert folks. Mm-hmm. And see, to me, the sound of that alarm, I, I can't tell because I'm not in the studio. I don't know how loud it is to you guys. It's not that loud. But mm-hmm. it's not like an alarm. It's not an ambulance alarm. It's not like the Europeans. It's not an alarm as one traditionally thinks of it. I'm not saying it's a pleasant sound, but it's an unusual enough sound. Mm-hmm. And it's diffuse enough mm-hmm. that it feels, I, I understand what they're saying when they talk about how far the sound projects, how far it carries. Yeah. And, you but know, it doesn't sure hurt your ears. Will, yeah. People will do tests on it, but yeah. I felt positively toward it when I heard it yeah. in the video. And you know, you could tell you could tell what it is. Yeah. Right. It, uh, somebody says I just scrambled a search and rescue team. I don't think yeah. so. I hope not. <laughs> I'm fine. I'm just fu- I'm fine. Yeah. Unless you have a great amount of power and you've configured it to do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, there are certain things it's hard to test. So mm-hmm. the crash detection that would be hard to test, yeah. right? Yeah. The new satellite feature. Painful to test well, anyway. Yeah. So there's actually, right. this this ties into my day job, believe it or not, because one of the big issues that's been emerging and percolating through communication is accurate 911 positioning and location. And we don't have a whole lot of time to get into laws that have just passed, but suffice it to say there are now laws in place that require any address to be able to convey accurate geographic information to 911 dispatchers. And I was interviewing folks who run... Um, the emergency response services for a particular county in Tennessee. And this is a huge part of their job is trying to find people who are in peril and get accurate addresses so they can send out the right, the right type of search and rescue operation. Is it fire? Is it an ambulance? Is it police? Whatever. And what I'm super curious about with this watch is in addition to the alarm, I want to find out how search and rescue operations feel. Like if they're like, if if they're saying yes, this is something that has a provable effect on our ability to find people, especially in the outdoors, because t- everything is united or everything is the rise of people who've been needed who need to be rescued in the outdoors has actually shot up exponentially. In part, thanks to you know GPS devices. Well, GPS devices, watches. Everyone's like, "Oh, I have, I have two I bars. Know. I can go anywhere." This watch makes mm. me want to climb a mountain, scuba dive, 
and you're like, I have GPS on it. I'm fine. You're not fine. You're not you fine. D- you don't know how to climb a 14er. Um, so No, you're right. So, I should not be out there. So I would love to find out from search and rescue folk if something like this feature, which Apple is selling as a way to push peace of mind, will genuinely be effective for search and rescue operations or if it's something where you have a sense of safety, but it's a false sense of safety because it doesn't get you the desired outcome. We don't have the data yet, but I think that's going to be something worth keeping in mind and asking folks who do this for a living, you know, have you seen a measurable impact on this? The same way they've seen measurable impacts on, we have had to take this person off a mountain because they got cold and called 911. Right. Um, Well, and this has features that uh, would tempt me. Yeah. Uh, For instance, it's got a breadcrumb feature. I can push a button and Mm -hmm. as I'm walking around it, it will leave. Uh, a GPS marker, and then I yeah. could, in theory, and I know I would get lost immediately, follow the watch back home. Yeah. Then that might make me think, oh, I could go off trail because I'm I'm going to be able to figure out where I am. <laughs> that's maybe not such and, a good idea. And that's idea. actually theoretically an accessibility feature because mm-hmm. there's turn-by-turn GPS that we all use, but if you are in a parking lot, never mind being off trail, and you're trying to get from one place that you're familiar with to a place that you're not, and you somehow get lost along the way, uh, you can theoretically retrace your steps. I don't know how it re- behaves in practice, but I can see that application I guess I'll have to it. lose my car and try it. They actually do have Airport, airport parking lots would be amazing for them. Mm-hmm. There is a yeah. button that you yeah. can do a waypoint for your car, your mm-hmm. parked car. That's great. Yeah. So they clearly know that that's maybe one of the uses for it. I wonder yeah. how much they're influenced by accessibility. That They're, they're building something you know, for the, for the uh, extreme athlete, but really... Maybe this is for everybody. Yeah. This, you know, there's a lot about I mean, accessibility honestly, that benefits people who who don't who aren't necessarily have that disability. That's right. Like 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 curbs that you know ramps on curbs benefit people with strollers, people on bicycles, right. roller mm-hmm. skates. You don't have to be in a wheelchair to benefit from that. Absolutely, I'm sure that's. And true I think those issue. those features too tend to trickle down in some way. So if you don't feel like buying a minimum eight hundred dollar watch that is enormous maybe in the next couple of years some of those features like the breadcrumb feature particularly or some of the other ones that are not really like you're probably not going to get a dive computer on your apple watch se but at some point your se or your nine or your 10 might have a breadcrumb feature if it proves to be popular and certainly from an accessibility point of view that would be or, great to have on other or someone will steal the idea maybe it'll be on your fitbit it is that kind of funny Chinese sure, when i'm setting it up it asks you some questions about how you watch this when i want the watch set up and one of the questions is well would you like to know how deep you are and how cold the water is when you're diving and of course i i'm never going to use that but i said yes oh my gosh yes of course i would just in case you died if i did fall off a ship and i'd like to know well as i'm going under as i'm going down i'm getting deeper right yeah no i do we found leo why wouldn't you turn that on so i have a girlfriend who's doing a project where she's hitting 50 different swimming holes around the state of california before she turns 50 and she's been blogging her progress and one of the pieces of equipment she takes with her while she does this is a water thermometer because she has limits on how how cold the water is going to be. And I wonder how this watch might fit into that. that kind of project. I if- can have, <laughs> uh, there's a complication on this 
particular face that says yeah. water temperature. Yeah, exactly. So I could actually be monitoring that yeah. even when I'm. So I, I want to shout out a comment that CR1 just made. In the U.S., the Apple Watch should include your health insurance status. If you don't have insurance, oh. the Apple Watch should ignore you. Oh, that's a very good point. <laughs> well, what I'm wondering is why aren't insurance companies working harder to put together integrations that work on the Apple Watch? Certainly. Like Kaiser Permanente, why aren't you iWatch well, or, cer- or Signal? Yeah, certainly yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. there are a lot of hospitals doing research studies with the yeah. watch, right? Mm-hmm. With watches, yeah. 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 So, uh, Again, yeah. Well, I mean, there are employers that are giving people incentives for having right. the watch, which yeah. has some implications for their medical insurance and, and either incentives or they're outright giving employees Apple watches in exchange for some sort of healthy behaviors. And Actually. I know a couple people who have had yeah. those experiences. And I kind of wonder how positive it is because there's all that data. So yeah. you, as the, uh, you as the employee get the benefit of having the watch, but are you also sharing more data than you intend either with your company or with your insurer? That was a well, plot yeah. point mm-hmm. in uh, Billions, in Showtime's show Billions. At one point, the new owner comes yeah, in and gives an apple watch to all the employees like mm-hmm. you but you're so great stick around here's your apple watch then it turns out he's got a dashboard uh-huh. and they're watching all the employees and at one point the two of them are watching one employee having a heart attack and now they're going god do we what do we do should we why wouldn't you call? Because we didn't tell them we were going to be monitoring yeah. them. Mm. So they did end, end up calling emergency services. The mm-hmm. EMT shows up at Wags's. He's on a Peloton. Uh-huh. Nice plug for Peloton. He's on a Peloton pedaling, and the EMT shows up. He says, what are you doing here? I'm fine. And he has a heart oh, attack. Wow. It's kind of a stupid plot point, but yeah. it's but it is but it is that plot point which is you know employers yeah. Yeah. can uh, monitor you. Well, yeah. The question you. is, is how much of a reasonable right to privacy do you have if you're consenting to put an employer provided? I'm data guessing generator. Apple prevents yeah. Yeah. that kind of Apple. I can't imagine there's an MDM yeah. that lets you monitor your employees' heart rate. <laughs> well, it's not just that. How many how many steps? Or if, for example, you block out on Outlook, I'm in focus mode for four hours because Outlook now lets you do that with Microsoft Eva and you're at focus mode. But your focus mode is you like running 15K because you're training for a marathon. If can can they now check and go, oh, somebody said they were in focus mode at work, but they've just done 25,000 steps, you know? By the way, Wags Wags in in this show says, who called the EMT? (laughs) <laughs> and finally figures out, oh, my God, is this watch? And he immediately throws it out. So, uh, yeah, if, Even though it might have saved his life. It saved his life. Yeah. But, but your privacy is more important than your life, of course. Well, is it? That's, a, that's certainly well, that, how we act. These yeah, I think there are people poet who says the grave's that. a fine and private place. Oh, yeah. I like it. That's a great line, isn't it? Yeah. You know, this is a great segue. I was going to talk about this later, but it's a good segue. So I just did a piece about how I lost 15 pounds because of my Fitbit. Wow! Congrats. You know what? That's the that's why you look like George Gobel. Yeah. Maybe so. <laughs> you lost weight. Well, the yeah. thing is, uh, unlike the Apple Watch, I can wear it twenty four hours a day because it actually has a battery that lasts more than two right. hours. <laughs> but right. but the main thing is it tracks calories automatically. So yeah. I, for example, today's a horrible day. I've so far burned only nine hundred and sixty four calories, oh, which isn't much. Yeah. I haven't done anything. Uh, but it also, if it doesn't automatically record what you eat, we're not there yet. That's what I'm waiting for because it's really a pain. I do log my food, but it's such a pain. I just want the watch to know what I'm eating. But does it also, are you able to, what I love about it is like I'll look at my, um, I'll look at my app and I'll say, oh, gee, I can afford to eat a big dinner tonight Mm. because I've burned more than I've taken in by X number of calories. And for me, it's working, but we'll have to see. I've also, 
lost weight and gained it back many times. So, you know, tune in, tune in next time, you know, next year to see what happened. What's yeah. Happened. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. I, this uh, Apple's health app keeps track of uh, steps and calories. Yeah. Um, and, and then maybe Apple could do some kind of dental appliance that keeps track of what you eat. I think the watch with machine learning could judge by just the weight of if the spoon. You, well, if you could actually do it mm. with your camera, that would be great. Cause yeah. yeah, there is an app to take picture. Yeah. It's imperfect. Yeah. It's called hot dog or not. Oh, okay. No, I'm kidding. It's clearly watch too much TV. One of the biggest complaints I've had about food log, we, we are getting far afield here is anytime I've, I've done food logging where it hasn't just been me writing in a notebook to look for my trends. Um, if I'm trying to enter, oh, I had this much salad, where it's a salad that we've made at home, like a couscous salad, then I have yeah, to hard. find an app that's okay with me downloading the recipe. It has to recognize all the ingredients in the recipe and go from there. And just the burden of data entry is enormous. It is. I just over. I just overestimate. I do yeah. too. I'm very. Uh, I'll pick something that's roughly. Yeah. There, yeah. Um, but and then uh, I'll add a little bit just to get another air yeah, on that. Mm-hmm. Honestly, yeah, at this the, point, I'm like, okay, seven servings of fruit and vegetables every day, oh, three God. servings of, uh, you know, I I really love That's a lot. Um, well, of fruit and vegetables. Yeah, but it's good for you. Yeah, you know, they if I could just eat energy. figs, yeah, that would be fine. For Leo, I wish you would let me know. We have a fig tree, and it's ripe right now. <gasps> Next time, them all for forget you. Forget the Girl Scout cookies. I know, right? We get figs. Bring me here. fig Newtons. Oh, figs! We have fresh figs. <laughs> We have fresh figs. Make delicious cocktails with figs, too. Oh, oh wait, that's, we're talking about healthy stuff. I forgot. Delicious yeah. cocktails with figs. Uh, yeah. Mm. Sorry, that's a, a spare a time activity that, of mine Shelley. is making delicious yeah. cocktails. Are you a mixologist? Oh. I am. She's yeah. a grandma. Do you use fig syrup or actual figs? I, I made fig syrup is what I did for, oh. for a cocktail at one point because I had a neighbor who had a fig tree and gave me, just, just dumped a bunch of figs on my doorstep. And I was like, well, I could eat these or I could just make them into a nice syrup. And yeah. so that's what I did. Do you, could you, would you mind sending me the recipe later? Just because our, sure. no, our fig tree is crazy at this point. I, I've been giving away so pints jealous. to everybody. Oh, and I'm figs. still like running. We have a possum lives in our yard. They're, they're at the point oh, now yeah. where they're like Templed in the rat at the end yeah. of Charlotte's Web. Well, <laughs> the worst thing is when the figs start to ferment, then you have drunk Rats in your we have drunk exactly. raccoons. That's worse. Yeah. Like the, mm. the, they get, they're they're mean drunks. <laughs> so, so. What is it? I've read about figs. Oh, yeah, I don't wasps. It. It's the wasps. It's the wasps. The yeah. Okay. <laughs> is that something I should worry about? No. Okay. Just don't think about it. Exactly. When you're eating it. Yeah. The okay. same reason you don't think about thrips inside your strawberries. So. Oh God! Now what? Nope. Thrips nope. inside no, my now strawberries. Nope. Let me talk about something much less concerning. Are you worried, Larry, that Fitbit is owned by Google and is eventually going to require a Google login? Um, probably. I mean, I probably should be. Uh, I'm not so much sure about the login per se, but I am a little, a little worried about the fact that I've got an Android phone. I use Gmail. I use Google Docs. I have a Google-owned watch. Um, I, you know, I feel like I have. You know, they they own a lot of information about me. I I don't lose sleep over it, but I I respect those who do worry. I mean, personally, I figured out a long time ago that a lot of corporations know a lot about me, and it it even predated the Internet. I mean, if you think about anybody who has insurance, uses credit cards, Mm -hmm. makes telephone calls, they're already giving up a great deal of information about themselves you know, even back in the in the sixties, they were. There's something but, very yeah. personal, though, about health information, sure. especially yeah. weight, uh, exercise, that kind of thing. Well, I think one of the concerns would be that Google would then sell that to insurance companies, right? Well, in fact, 
You know what really disturbs me is I think I got a note from my insurance company telling me that if I installed a certain gizmo in yes, my car, that's right. I could get a discount Safe for being driver a good discount. driver, yeah. which means really I'm getting a penalty for being a bad driver <laughs> if, if, if the opposite is true. Well, and of course, I like you, Leo. I drive an, a pretty high tech electric car. I know you've got a. It's monitoring you. Your Tesla's now I've got, monitoring I've got you got like crazy. Yeah. Oh, they know. I mean, they know everything about me. Elon probably knows more about me than uh, than than Sundar does. I remember I mean, when uh, our Model X. Would, Lisa said, "You know, every a couple of times now, I've gone into forward and it's gone backward." Mm. And I called them, and they said, "Well, let's look at the logs." No, you you uh, you were in backward. They actually knew mm-hmm. at that exact time what was going on, mm-hmm. uh, which didn't exactly reassure me. I mean, it kind of, mm-hmm. and we know this, Elon, uh, yeah. Elon, not Elon, but Tesla knows, has a log of everything that's going on in that vehicle oh, at all times. Yeah. Yeah. No, and, it, and it's, it's amazing. I, mean, I, I, guess, I guess with Google, you'd have to think that it would be such a problem for their business if it came out that they were using that information, that they probably bend over backwards to protect it. I don't think it would. I, I don't think Americans... They don't care. They, no, no, because as long as they're getting services for quote-unquote free, a lot of them, a lot of people say, oh, well, you know, I get this for free, so I don't care how they're collecting the data. That's just the... the people we talk to, the people on our shows, mm-hmm. the people who listen to our shows all care. Yeah, I mean, but we that's care. A, that's a weird Do they subset. really care? We care. We, we may, but... We also we make choices. We yeah. say we yeah. care, but if yeah. we're used to an ecosystem and if we like an Apple Watch or a Fitbit or whatever device it is, we're going to rationalize it in order to keep using it. Yeah. And the other right. thing to me that this tells us is, and, and we know this because companies get acquired all the time. Like, let's say you have a product that you really love. Maybe it was a Nest. Maybe it was a Fitbit. Oh, interestingly, both acquired by Google. But you bought those things before they were acquired. Whatever feeling you have about the company and whatever sort of emotional squishies you have – that's irrelevant because yeah. that company could be acquired and your data could go could, is completely out of your control from the moment that you provide it to whomever you're providing. And I think that's the lesson that I wish people would take from these yeah. acquisitions. Yeah. And, and if you really want to get paranoid, because a, a lot of people are concerned about the government getting information about them. There are ways that the government can get into corporate databases. They're called subpoenas and warrants. And there are ways that the government can change, as the Italians are finding out today and as we found out in 2016 and, and could in the future. So you do have to be concerned about the vast array of data that's out there about you. And, and you know, I think I'm one of the people that like to talk about it. You know, as Connect Safely, we write books and articles about privacy all the time. But I have to confess that if you look at my behavior, yeah, I'm not doing much to protect my privacy. That's Maybe probably true of, every, of all yeah. of us, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're well, concerned, is, but yeah. we don't. We don't act upon our concerns. So we had we have an Apple TV at home. That's our primary vector for watching television. And because you can hit all your different streaming services mm-hmm. and YouTube. And over the pandemic, one of our favorite family activities was to watch YouTube together. We'd pick out videos. We'd Aww. go into weird deep dives. That's cute. So for a long time, we were doing it while not being logged into YouTube. And part of the fun was seeing the algorithm try to figure out what <laughs> what this unknown. But what we found is after a while... Um, the history of what we were watching would hard reset and it would start serving up all sorts of different stuff. And I thought, okay, maybe this is behavior that's actually meant to incentivize us to log in or to create an account because this way the algorithm could serve us. You want better recommendations. Exactly. And, and by YouTube continually wiping the slate of an anonymous user clean, 
you don't get the ben- the benefit of of the fun of going down wormholes in YouTube. Instead, you're dis- you're incentivized to put your profile on there so that you can get your sweet, sweet algorithm fix and they can get the data well, on you. That brings yeah. us to a very interesting yeah. story about YouTube in a recent study from Mozilla. We'll talk mm-hmm. about that in just a little bit. What a great panel. We've learned everything from fig syrup <laughs> to what was that thing in strawberries? No, maybe no. we should. No, we're not talking no, about that. No. Uh, Larry Maggot is here from connectsafely.org. Do you still do some stuff for uh, radio? Oh, yeah, I do uh, two segments a week. It's called the Connect Safely Report on CBS News. Nice. And it's heard in more than 50 markets, so it's doing pretty well. Also from radio, the Texas Standard. It's great to have Shelley Brisbane on. the. I can't believe we've never had you on Twitter. I totally apologize. I know, Leo, and it doesn't hurt my feelings at all because you've had all my friends on Twitter. I know. I know. <laughs> we've been just... tech, including Lisa, hello, uh, oh, so have been on Twitter. And so I'm, I'm super excited to, to be here. And uh, maybe I should talk to Larry about being a guest on the Texas Standard because we talk about privacy on the show occasionally. And tech, hey. other, I'm in charge of covering got, tech stuff. Shelly, you're I'm like qualified. The, look, at, look at, I've got a good microphone, so I'm obviously qualified. There you go. All right. Yeah. Shelly is like the sweetheart of a Samoa cookie. I've been nibbling around the edges, <laughs> saving you. <laughs> Thanks, Leo. For last. That is speaking that is of Samoa. Awesome. <laughs> uh, our uh, our Girl Scout cookie fan, Lisa yeah. Schmeiser. She has Girl Scouts. Girl Scout cookie She's also a Girl yes. Scout leader. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Editor in chief now of a new uh, a new place. No jitter. Yes. What is no jitter? So no jitter is a website that covers communication. The whole stack. We own the stack all the way from plain old telephony wires up to unified communication platforms and the ways that people can communicate, connect, and collaborate on those Is it platforms. mostly enterprise-focused? It, you know what? Um, ostensibly, yes, but an enterprise is only as good as the people inside yeah. it and are working together. And so we're focusing a little bit more on how people work inside these places and how human behavior shapes technology and vice versa. This is great, actually. Yeah. Cool. I'm, I'm really liking this, the stories I'm seeing here. Yeah. Well, it's great to have all three of you uh, our show today brought to you by Shopify. Oh, it's the sound of another sale on Shopify. Grow your business with Shopify. Shopify unlocks the opportunities your business offers to more people every day. It's You see, it's and this is important. It's more than just a store. Shopify lets you connect with your customers. You can sell in multiple places, web, mobile, social media, online marketplaces, even brick and mortar locations and pop-up shops. Shopify helps you drive sales by tirelessly reinventing the tools of growth for millions of businesses. This is, after all, what they do. This is their focus. And it's why so many people trust Shopify to help them succeed every day. You'll also love it because Shopify helps you get the job done, manage your day-to-day with thousands of integrations, third-party apps, everything from on-demand printing to accounting, advanced chatbots, and beyond. Shopify is so well-known that everybody works with Shopify, and that's really the beauty of using a platform like Shopify. Shopify gives entrepreneurs the resources once reserved for big business. I This is transformational technology. This is, this is what's made the world... I think a better place. So upstarts and startups and established businesses alike can sell everywhere. Did you know that every 28 seconds an entrepreneur makes their first sale on Shopify? Every 28 seconds, somebody makes their first sale, their first sale on Shopify. Scaling your business is a journey of endless possibility. Synchronize online, conduct in-person sales, 
and effortlessly stay informed Shopify. Elisa went to a Halloween festival. A lot of local artists and talent. Shopify was everywhere because it's the easiest way to do that, even in person. They've got the tools and resources to make it easy for any business to succeed from down the street to around the globe. And nowadays, if you are a down-the-street business, you have a global marketplace you can take advantage of. Thanks to Shopify, it powers millions of businesses from that first sale to full scale. You can reach customers online across social networks with an ever-growing suite of channel integrations and apps. I have to say, I, I, Shopify on Instagram is so good that not a night goes by that I haven't purchased something <laughs> in the middle of the night on Shopify, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Pinterest. Gain insights as you grow with detailed reporting of conversion rates, profit margins, and more. You know, information is power, especially if you're selling online. There's no reason to be in the dark. Shopify instantly lets you accept all major payment methods, of course. It's more than a store. Shopify grows with you. So supercharge your knowledge, your sales, your success. Go to shopify.com slash twit, all lowercase, to start your free trial and get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. S-H-O-P. I-F-Y, shopify.com slash T-W-I-T, all lowercase. Grow your business with Shopify today. Go to shopify.com slash twit right now. Shopify. It's another sale. I love it. <laughs> Steve Gibson has uh, has sound effects in his studio. Every once in a while, we'll hear a yabba-dabba-doo, which <laughs> means that he has sold another copy of his software, uh, Spinrite. I love it. <laughs> He's got, I, I think it's mostly Fred Flintstone's uh, sounds. Uh, so we were talking about YouTube and the YouTube algorithm. Of course, a lot of people complain that the YouTube algorithm drives you towards extremism. Mm -hmm. You start, yeah. you, you, you know, watch a, you watch a channel about how to make a margarita with no, uh, no, no animal products in it. Mm -hmm. And pretty soon, you know, it's hardcore veganism videos. And pretty soon you're invading chicken farms. <laughs> uh, I think that's pretty, I mean, I think it happens. Mm -hmm. yeah. we, we certainly observed it when we were logging into YouTube anonymously. It's a good, yeah. It was a little disorienting. Even anonymously, it's still pushing you in a direction. It does. Because its Which goal is, is, I mean, it's not doing it on purpose. It's not somebody's written a program saying, turn everybody into Nazis. It's, 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 it's mm -hmm. optimizing for engagement. Yeah. Right. And the problem is, is that engagement is context neutral. Right. Because you just take a look at as how people. As long as you keep watching. Well, if you're watching, are you clicking like and subscribe? Yeah. You know? Well, here's an interesting thing. This is a Mozilla study. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they took uh, video recommendations data from more than 20,000 YouTube users. Now, remember, this is from Mozilla, mm -hmm. a Chrome competitor, right? They're mm -hmm. not fans of Google. <laughs> but, Haven't I mean. Really understated. Yeah. <laughs> so they actually found that when you hit the buttons like the down, down mm -hmm. thumb or dislike not interested, even things like stop recommending this channel mm -hmm. or remove this from my watch history. It did almost nothing. Uh, according to Mozilla, even at their best, those buttons still allow through more than half of the recommendations you said you don't want. Hmm. At their worst, the buttons do almost nothing to block similar videos. I'm curious to know how often people use those different features, the dislike button and the don't show me this channel. I find that I don't unless I really have a very negative reaction or if it's something, some, if it's really a kind of content, if it's hardcore XYZ and it's extremist, I'll probably do it. But if it's just a little annoying, 
I'll move on to the next thing and I won't necessarily think critically. And so I'd be interested to know whether that algorithm behavior is even trainable based on how much those options are used. I wouldn't be surprised if yeah. that's why it doesn't work is because YouTube's learned, hey, no point in paying attention well, to you, that. Well, you raise a really good point also about how they did this study, which is you have to look at the motivation for why people might hit those 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 don't show well, buttons. So the people that they were monitoring were using a browser mm -hmm. uh, extension from Mozilla mm -hmm. uh, uh, called... Uh, what is it called? Reg no Reg regrets. Reg <laughs> no Reg yeah. regrets. Reporter. Oh my regrets. Reporter. So, the, so I think it's a self-selecting, <laughs> somewhat yeah. of a self-selecting group. Okay. Yeah. So the idea is, regrets. Reporter um, helps you eliminate harmful YouTube recommendations uh, and avoid harmful com co content. You might put this on your kids' yeah. uh, browser, for instance. Mm. Um, it does work with Chrome as well as Firefox. Um, and so I guess what the data they got back was they're they're seeing people click this button. Mm -hmm. I think it's important. Honestly, I take it seriously when I'm reading mm -hmm. Apple News or Google News or looking at YouTube. I feel like it's important for me to give them the signals when I see something I don't want to see more of. Yeah. I wish it worked better, but I it's kind of been my experience. These signals, and as it, strong it, as they should be, don't. And it doesn't just have yeah. to be the white supremacist stuff that pops up no, after, after you watch one video on Viking history. I don't want to, to see Kim Kardashian content. Well, to give you an example, we, um, we're watching uh, She-Hulk together as a family. and they're Attorney just, at Law? Yes. Great show. <laughs> and there is, of course, an episode with Madison. Um, why is not what you think? And... She's constantly spoiling the show, The Sopranos. So we showed my daughter just the opening credit to Sopranos so you could understand Wait the song. On She-Hulk. They, they reference The Sopranos. They reference The Sopranos. Yeah. Wow. So, so Not only do they reference it, they spoil it? Yes. Shocking. So we show her the opening sequence for, you know, the the, the, the credits, which are very good and At very nutty. a gun. Yeah. And then I got... Then my feed was flooded with two dozen clips from the show. No. All of them around Adriana getting... But not spoiling it, mm. but all of them around a sort bad things happening. All around things happening. Christopher. To, oh my god. Yeah. Oh god. But I I, I didn't I want to see. I interviewed her once. Really? Yeah. She did a podcast, and they wanted to plug the podcast she was uh. doing with her friend, and, and she brought up Christopher. Christopher. <laughs> she said, "I go down the street. Everybody says, say Christopher.' Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah, sorry, distracted. I, I didn't need two dozen clips of of. Well, I've noticed that with YouTube. If you watch yeah. anything, you know, a Johnny Carson yeah. clip, you will get all the Johnny Carson. Well, it's like Amazon's yeah. recommendations are, oh, you've bought an air conditioner. Congratulations Let's on your new hobby more. of collecting air conditioners. Yes. Um, <laughs> well, and there, there are particular the streams, work. and I know Sopranos is one of them because I've ended up there accidentally too, mm -hmm. where YouTube has a lot and has a lot to give you. Yeah. And then there are other things. I have obscure, weird rabbit holes that I go down yeah. and I, I want more because it's something odd that I've found. And there is. And so whenever there's a lot of it mm -hmm. and whenever it's popular, you're going to get more of it. Yeah, it's YouTube, really hard to get it, get away from it. YouTube does it because it works. Yeah. 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 I mean, it, it, they're not doing stuff because it doesn't work. What's really changed in this era is this tight feedback loop that all yeah. of these programs yeah. have because they see everything you're doing yeah. so they can really respond. So, I mean, I think you have to stipulate they're doing it because it works. Well, you know, it's interesting. I don't, I don't want to – I'm not worried about being turned into a Nazi, but I do sometimes worry about – like I do look at right-wing extremist websites because I want to see what they're publishing, you know. Mm -hmm. But then I worry, am I adding to oh, their yeah. popularity? I won't am do I it. somehow helping them? I won't go even to though I'm not giving them any money. I won't do it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I won't go to the Daily Stormer.
Yeah. Uh, well, that just seems like a bad idea. But you need to do it for your job. Well, I, I feel like I should at least look at Breitbart now and then. And yeah. some of these, um, you yeah. know, I, I won't even mention the names of them. I don't need to promote them. But, yeah. yeah, I do feel like I need to look at them. But it is true. I do worry about what benefit are they de- being, <laughs> getting. Well, the I've, I've created a separate, separate Google account for ah. work just for that yeah. reason. Uh. And I, I sometimes am, am I, I'll sometimes accidentally be in my own account and I'll be like, oh, my God, I went to the wrong place. Crazy gmail.com. That's yeah. you, huh? Well, yeah, anybody, Leo, don't tell everybody. <laughs> well, it goes back to the problem that engagement is completely divorced from context. And if these yeah. companies are tweaking their algorithms and the user experience based on the premise that engagement is the only good or the only end, it's really bad, both as a user experience thing and as a product thing in several different yeah. aspects. It's also engagement all the way down because yeah. it's not only YouTube doing that. The sites are creating lickbaity headlines yeah. Yeah. i mean oh, it goes it's it's everybody is trying to grab your attention yeah. everybody mm-hmm. is you know sometimes i will actually when i go into google I'll, I'll turn on my vpn i'll go into incognito mode or in private mode and i'll do a search and then i'll do the same search with me logged in without the vpn and it's amazing the differences one of the disappointing mm-hmm. differences is that i don't come up as often <laughs> when i do a search if i'm on a vpn yes. Can not I just tell you, ego me. searches when you're not logged in are not yeah. so much fun. I know. So apparently Google is like, ooh, Larry, we're going to make you feel good about yeah. yourself. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, DuckDuckGo doesn't like me as much as Google does. It's weird. <laughs> Actually, one of my favorite things to do on Google is take a look at what they think they know about me based on, on the, in the mm-hmm. ads where you can go through and they're like, oh, tweak your data so it's more, more this and more that. And oddly enough, I've never been a 28-year-old male military veteran. But that you like, know of, right? <laughs> it's okay. I've never watched the Kardashians. I still get recommendations. So, for so this goes back to if engagement is the greater good, how flawed is the data that they're collecting and selling? Like it, it, it sort of it reminds me a yeah. lot of when Facebook was aggressively pushing videos, yeah. and it turned out their sales department was completely juking the stats, as they'd say on also excellent HBO show The right. Wire. Um, <laughs> they're juking the stats, and you did not know truthfully and honestly how people were engaging with video on Facebook, but they were making all this money by saying, oh, we think it's like this. And you ha- I-, I have to wonder, is this the same on YouTube? Is this the same on Google? Um, at what point do you look at the data and say this this data is useless because it doesn't accurately measure what well, people are watching? It just accurately measures engagement, which is different yeah. than, than sitting down and watching a video from beginning to end. One of the lessons... Your observation about collecting air conditioners is a good mm-hmm. point, because every time I buy something for the next six months, I'm inundated, and the last thing I'm going to do is buy that again. I just bought it. Yeah. Thank you very much. I don't need another air conditioner. Yeah. Yeah. One of you the know, so- uh, lessons... In fact, I just read an article uh, about this re- referencing the wire, mm-hmm. is when you decide what the stats you're going to monitor are, yeah. you are tilting the whole the whole thing mm-hmm. towards those stats. And that was the point of the wire is you juke the stats and majors become colonels because yeah. they go, oh, all I have to do is is uh, bring down. In fact, there's a famous scene in the wire mm-hmm. where uh, he tells McNulty, don't bring me any murders. We're trying to get our, our, our stats, stats up. up. Mm. So I don't want to know about any murders. We yeah. want our solve rate to be higher. That's exactly the wrong result. Yeah. Because you're juking the stats. Well, there was a great Wall Street Journal piece this last week talking about salary transparency 
And it's based on a study that researchers did of the National Hockey League when the salaries of every single player were published in the Mm. Montreal Gazette back in the, I believe it's the 70s this happened. And a bunch of economists took a look at what happened afterwards. And what they noted is that the folks who were on the lower end of the salary scale took a look at the folks on the higher end of the salary scale and noticed, hey, they're not great team players, but they're great Mm. at racking up individual Uh. stats. So I'm not going to focus on defense. I'm not going to focus on passing. I'm not going to focus on team first. I'm going to focus on racking up my stats so that I have more value to the people paying money. Consequently, the quality of play changed, but people got the, the people who played Duke, the stats got the money. And the point to the economist was, well, you can have pay transparency or you can simply pay people what they're worth and you have to decide worth based on, is it worth having team worth? But this is the same thing where once you figure out what the metrics are, everyone performs to the metrics. So what's the solution? I mean, I've said a lot and I think it's probably the wrong solution, but I've always, Mm -hmm. I've I've said a lot anyway, uh, is get rid of algorithms. Algorithms Mm -hmm. are the problem, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, They are in some places. I mean, I don't need an algorithm to, on Facebook, I want to just follow the people I follow. Yeah. On, on Twitter, I want to follow the people I follow. I don't need you to recommend stuff based on what you think I'm interested in. Who do I the guess, algorithms serve? Yeah, who do algorithms serve? I, on I, YouTube? I think it does kind of depend on the platform because I think right. Facebook and Twitter, those are perfect examples of I have chosen to follow people. That's who I want to follow. But YouTube and TikTok are examples of platforms where there's some joy in going down a rabbit hole and, hole and being shown yes. things that you don't yeah. expect, mm-hmm. partly because we're used to it. We've been trained to enjoy it. Well, but also partly when you because have it's a, the nature of that platform. If you have a billion videos, discoverability is a problem. They're trying to solve 100%. I mean, I feel that way about television. Well, and if you have a lot me. of followers, like, <laughs> you follow a lot of people. It's also a problem. So I had the situation on Facebook where I was getting bored by the fact that I kept seeing the same posts over and over again from a limited number of people. And I said, Okay, I'm going to turn off that algorithm and make sure I see everything in in chronological reverse chronological order. Then I got even more bored because yeah. I started hearing from people well, who I could care less about. That's <laughs> what they're <laughs> saying. That's why they juke the stats. They, yeah. Right. So th- yeah. So I went back to turning. I turned the algorithm back on. My point was that I, I hear what you say on the negative, but at the at the same time, it actually it does create, in my opinion, a slightly better experience. Although. Right. That's why Not I totally torpedoed better. my own argument the moment before. Yeah, I mean, I even, like, it, it but, really but what is the answer? Well, algorithms are cur- like algorithms are, are a mechanized substitution for the curatorial experience. Because when <laughs> sure. you think about the 20th century, you had a whole lot of but curation doesn't scale. Well, yeah, exactly, and that's the challenge. That's what algorithms are supposed to be doing. Is you one of my one of my favorite side topics is like the rise and fall of the Condé Nast publishing empire, and I will read any memoir I get my hands on about it. And most of the time, it was like people got obscene amounts of money for being able to correctly put their thumb on the zeitgeist and then commodify those insights, right? Anna but, Wintour at, at Vogue. Anna Wintour, Graydon yeah. Carter, Tina Brown. Yeah. Tina Brown, um, classic. David Remick. Um, for a while, oh, uh, Ruth Reichel over at Gourmet. Yep. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. Kim France with Lucky Magazine. But again, that doesn't scale and you can't make great whoopsie loads of cash from it. Algorithms are supposed to be doing that kind of curatorial work that give you a surprising combination of things that surprise and delight you. So is an algorithm better than Tina Brown? No. But that's, that's no. the no. thing is, is... No, that's the problem. 
is because what because with a human you're paying for discernment you're they're yeah. they're curating things but that's Thank based you. on yeah. that person's own experience and based on that person's knowledge of mm-hmm. the area whether it's gourmet food or whether it's yeah. culture or fashion or whatever it is and an algorithm is not going to do that algorithm is going to present me literal clips from the sopranos and joe bob's podcast and the podcast of the woman who said christopher all yeah. at once and i'm not going to be able to make a choice unless i watch them all and then yeah. the algorithm is going to say oh give her more of all of it <laughs> Yeah, because taste and discernment don't scale, but they're also tremendously lucrative. They're, as, they're, they're as, what keeps Larry from getting bored with his as feet. As Condé Nast knows, because they don't know what they're going to do when Anna Wintour retires, yeah. right? Yeah. That's a, Vogue rises and falls mm-hmm. on her yeah. shoulders. And without her, what you know, mm-hmm. that's fashion is a very good example of that because it's so... Mm-hmm tastemaker driven well it's it's another industry that's in tremendous disruption right now too i, I feel like we're going to have an open revolt in the chat room where they're like we came here to talk about technology but we that. are talking about technology <laughs> this, <laughs> this is exactly how technology works how it behaves for human beings yeah, yeah. impact on every single industry in the world including, but that's, including that's fashion. But it's yeah, actually been a huge problem in retail over the fast few, last few years because you haven't been able to move the needle or have a big breakout in trend shifting since every trend happens everywhere all at once now thanks to the micro communities that aggregate around different algorithms driven through social media right yeah and by the way i've always thought the chat was revolting so nothing, oh i find you delightful hi chat yeah. <laughs> no i'm just teasing oh boy, uh, trouble <laughs> i am in big trouble <laughs> yeah. adobe 20 billion dollars to save its business i think right mm-hmm. uh by buying figma a company that's uh, annual recurring revenue is a mere 400 million dollars here's a opinion piece in the observer from this week mm-hmm. by john Naughton. adobe can't photoshop out the fact that it's 20 billion dollar figma deal is a naked land grab the software giant paying vastly over the odds for a small but strategically threatening company should alarm u.s regulators of course this mm-hmm. acquisition looks a lot like facebook mm-hmm. buying instagram mm-hmm. or whatsapp mm-hmm. right uh the idea being we they're eating our lunch. It doesn't make any sense to pay twenty billion dollars for a company that's never you know, it's gonna take more than twenty years to pay back that investment, but otherwise we're dead. Should the FTC allow this acquisition to go through, or is it a chance for them to make up for their mistake with Instagram? <laughs> Lisa? That's a good question. Uh, since <laughs> Figma solves a problem for a lot of Adobe users, which is there are too many things that I don't need. Yeah, people who love Figma are very unhappy about the acquisition. If you've ever used InDesign... It can be tremendously powerful if you if you've dedicated your life to InDesign. Yes, um, you know, mm-hmm. if it's lock in though for an InDesign expert. If you t- if you've taken the vows and joined the order yeah. and and you know immersed yourself, it's great. But it's it's actually it's a problem similar to Microsoft's problem where there are so many functions that you're like, I just want to do mm. this simple workflow. Please let me do that. Figma solved this problem and Figma's locked down the user experience. Um, People love it. Well, it sounds to me it's very also similar to timely because of COVID. It's a collaborative yeah. design environment. Right? Yeah, and it sounds to me really similar. Um, Microsoft made a failed bid for Slack right. because they correctly guessed that hey, this collaborative, frictionless environment that people can transpose their workflow into is something we don't have and something we need a mindshare on. It's the same thing. Um, I feel terrible for the people who like Figma and are right to worry about what this will do for them. Um, should the, go- should the government go- block it? 
Can the government make a plausible case that what this is doing is this there's is lots Adobe of snuffing out competition? There's Sketch, there's Canva, there are other companies yeah. doing this. I mean, and the thing is, um, there's another story you had for this week, too, where Slack has now introduced Canvas, which is a collaborative documenting Well, thing. it does tie into that because yeah. it's coming everybody... Down to collaborative proce- hosted collaborative processes yeah. are, are, are like a land grab right now anyway. Yeah. Um, everybody and their brothers adding documents. Yeah. Well, they're adding collaborative workflow because they all saw people using Gmail, not Gmail, Google Docs, and being like, oh, I need to get in on that action. Cause, Even Apple's announced a new whiteboard yeah. app, which I think is their stealth entry into this collaborative yeah. space. No, right? and and th- and you also know, everybody, to get back to everything we talked about, you also know that having a collaborative workspace gives people tons of raw data on how ideas get generated, iterated, manipulated. Oh, they're not yeah. watching what we're doing, are they? <laughs> But it also locks people in as customers. So if I've committed as a company to, I mean, we have at work, we have the Adobe suite, mostly because we use Audition to make radio. And so we have Photoshop and use it. I can use InDesign. I don't. I make radio all day. Uh, With Slack, if we've committed, we use Slack. If if we commit to that document, uh, the Canvas document thing, we're probably going to be more likely to continue a paid Slack subscription because the, the opportunity cost of going to something else would be high for us. And so it makes sense for the companies to do that. I don't I don't believe it's always in the best interest, whether it's Figma or whether it's somebody who's using some other collaborative document methodology to be locked into these platforms. But that's the way platforms are now. You don't buy software in boxes anymore. No, you, buy you buy the platform. seat license. But, but, but Shelley, you know, right. Addition is a good example. I used to love Addition when it was $59. It's Adobe's audio EDs. editing program. Actually, they acquired yes. it. It was Cool Ed right. Pro. Right, that's what you really. It yeah. used to be a great little product. Everybody right? in radio See? used it. Yeah. yeah, I know. And I, I went, I moved over to Audacity because Audition is just too complicated and too expensive. And that's the Adobe story. I mean. It's too exactly. Complicated. So oh, right, it's, 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 and they they made it very right. Adobe. And, and and truthfully, I use we do when we do multi track and we put together complicated stories that are going to be multi voice and with sound and with music. I use Audition because I like the multi track tools. But if I'm just yeah. editing an interview that's a guest and a host. I get into, there's a tool on the Mac called Amadeus Pro that I really like. Mm. Audacity works for that. I'm not yeah. personally a fan of Audacity, right. but Audacity has this wonderful advantage. It's free. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't yes. know the legal and arguments, it's but that's what I'd be most interested in. It also in crashes at. half the time. Yeah. I can't use that? A, uh, an editor that's going to crash on me because, yeah. um, you know, yeah. if it crashes yeah. and I've lost all the work I just did, I'm going to yeah. be very unhappy. Yeah. I mean, so. uh, maybe it's yeah. more reliable than it used to be. Yeah. I, I use Twisted Wave. I'm actually hopeful for these guys because they've just started a Windows beta. Mm-hmm. Lisa's starting mm-hmm. her own uh, podcast and uh, called cool. it's called Host Red Ads. I love it, and uh, I'm teaching her to use Twisted Wave so she can. She was recording it in Apple Voice Memos. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> and then That's posting it yeah. on uh, Anchor FM, and it was left channel only, and and mm-hmm. nobody could figure out. Well, I don't understand why it's only coming in one ear. <laughs> And I explained the whole thing, and I showed her how in Twisted mm-hmm. Wave to make it a mono mm-hmm. file before you upload it and all that oh, stuff. Oh, can I get some technical advice, Leo? Should my podcast <laughs> be mono or stereo? Because they're just voice. Yeah, that's why so I make is ours mono. Is there any mono. reason to go just stereo? mono. Your files are small, too. Make, make them yeah, yeah. No, so you I cut the file stuff. size in half. Yeah, right. So a 64-kilobit mono is the same quality as a 128-kilobit right. stereo. So that's one. I think, Shelly, you can weigh in on this, but we're all radio people except for you, Lisa. Have yeah. you done radio? I wish I could. You should. You have a beautiful voice. I would voice. love to. Oh, thank you. Have me on, Larry. I think <laughs> mono punches through better. Mm. So remember mm. the Beatles when they first recorded? It was all mono. 
And then they made terrible stereo mixes in oh, the U.S. they went US. crazy with stereo. Yeah. They were awful. Yeah. And the Beatles yeah. never liked that. And in fact, Beatles collectors now prize those original mono versions of many of the first Beatles albums mm-hmm. because that's how they were mixed. And, I, they, that's how, and they punched through. So I think one of the things... This is completely far afield. I apologize. <laughs> but I think one of the things really important for voice-only communications is that you're going to be listening in all sorts of adverse environments. The car, while you're washing the dishes, walking down the street with sirens going by. And so it's really important that the voice punches through. And when I, and, you know, when I used to do AM radio, we'd compress the hell out of it. That's the boss right. radio sound, right? Mm-hmm. But that's the reason. So that it, it's not actually louder, but it feels more present. And I think mono gives you some of that. I also think you should compress it, to be honest with you. But. Yeah. So I have arguments on both sides. The, the, the thing about mono is, especially if you're doing a podcast, podcasters have a wide variety of audio quality in their podcasts. Right. And if you do stereo, there's more of an opportunity for that badness to appear. And what Leo says about it, punching through and mono makes makes sense. Uh, I will do stereo separations if I have like four or five guests on my oh, yeah, show. That makes sense. Because, sure. And it does. And I'll tell you, that's another thing that I found out when I started hanging out with uh, blind podcasters that a lot of Blind folks like to hear a stereo mix of multiple voices oh, because okay. it gives this are. sort of realistic sound of, you know, I'm over here on the left and Larry's on the right and Leo's a little bit left center and Lisa's right center. And it, it, can, it can be kind of a cool effect. You can go too far. Like there used to be a sort of a category of podcasting where people would they call them sound seeing tours and people would oh, go I around and that. do their environments, you know. You're but walking they, but you'd down put the that street. In, yeah. Yeah. And you'd have binaural microphones Whatever that would drive you to crazy. That? Yeah. I just think people got tired of weird sounding binaural microphones because it was cool for a while that it was like, OK, I get it. There's a street and there's a person going by on the right. and There's a car on the left. Yeah. And it's just a little much, you know. How funny. I completely forgot about that. That was in the you know, I have to think podcast old timer, Leo. Yeah, because <laughs> when I record, I always record the guest in one channel and me in the other. So we are stereo to begin with. But does the guest really need to be, you know, sitting all the way to my left or all the no, way? No, no, you right? want to pan at extremes. No, but you can separately. You can yeah, like, you do their levels and process yeah. their yeah. their audio right. separately from your own. John, are, are we? Are we? We're stereo, right? But we don't pan uh, people's mics, so everybody's all. We probably should, but everybody's all kind of coming in the same yeah. same mm-hmm. place. There are reasons not to do that. If you're in the car, for instance, all the all you're going to get with too much space. It's great if you're listening in headphones or yeah. a good sound system, but right. in a car. It's come, people are going to be louder than other people. It's just going to be, it's not going to make a lot of sense. So um, I don't know. I have mixed feelings. I, I, I prefer to make it sound like an AM boss jock from 1968. Right. <laughs> That's Ooh, what I'm going for. Wolfman Jack is my yeah. answer. All right, about it. We got that sweat. So, uh, but uh, yeah, you know, we did, we did a spatial audio uh, podcast many years ago uh, that was really cool. Adobe... I'm sorry, Dolby. It's easy to confuse the two. <laughs> Dubly had a technology they called Dolby Headphone that didn't take off. It's gone now. But it but it was kind of like the Atmos mix that they do mm-hmm. now. For That's what Spatial is, is an Atmos yeah. mix, where you can place sounds anywhere in a sound stage. And we did a whole show uh, using a Dolby Headphone that nobody could listen to because unless you had a Dolby headphone decoder, it didn't make any sense. Now that spatial's big, maybe we should do spatial mixes of our shows. I don't know. What do you think, Shelly? Would you? I, I think that would be really trippy, and I probably would just go back to mono myself. Yeah, <laughs> Shelly's coming in from the upper right. 
Right. Lisa's in the lower left. I'm behind you, and Larry's in front of you. Look out. It doesn't work in my house because I have an Eichler with a pretty tall ceiling, and the Atmos gets just drowned out in there. Yeah, yeah, you can't have Atmos. You need to have a flat, low, reflective reflective ceiling, unless you put speakers up there and then you make them loud enough so that it's going to oh. work but that seems one like more it. thing for my wife to get no don't do that in the sound design your house that's a little so much that's another point is uh how are people listening so I- i'm gonna guess a lot of people are listening on yeah. mono speakers right they're listening on or or headphones and yeah. the car walking Headf- I, I guess I, earbuds yeah well, you're right mono speakers i mean think about voice assistants they're listening on a lady boxes and right. google boxes and mm-hmm. so, yeah, yeah even because we've, we've gone to, you know, car radios used to be mono. They're not anymore. There are a lot of people, most people have access to some sort of stereo-based audio if they want to listen to it. But how do we really listen to it? I listen to my show every day on a mono speaker yeah, because exactly. that's what I have. It's easy. You know? Yeah. It's yeah. easy. I, uh, I'm just lazy. If I had energy, <laughs> I would do a soundscape. I would, do, you know, when I was a younger radio guy, I used to mm-hmm. love to mix in stuff and... I remember uh, like the birds chirping in the background if you're doing yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. or you know yeah I, I mean we do that when American we make mixes and, yeah of, if we make if I make if I go out and I interview somebody I love that. and I or several people mm-hmm. and we get ambient sound we get we in yeah. fact we lay a track yeah. underneath that's yeah. the birds chirping or the gravel crunching or whatever yeah. and you fade that in and you fade it out and it sounds really great but you also have to be really we record those in you know we do multi-track and then we mix them down to stereo and they end up on the show in stereo most people People don't get most of it, but some people are going to hear the subtleties of it. And it's it's fun to do as long as you don't go crazy with it. And as long as you're doing it honestly, as long as the natural well, sound exactly. is coming from where you are and not imported from another world. Uh, I, we wouldn't do that. No. Of course you wouldn't. <laughs> I, but I, I, I had to take a whole ethics class about that. Well, mm-hmm. that's because you're doing journalism. But I mean, mm-hmm. uh, there's also a whole sphere of shows that could be considered fiction. Mm-hmm. Like cereal, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then, and then like you could, wow. for example, and then you could uh, or twit, yeah. and then uh, you could, Night Vale radio drama. Night Vale's a good example. They're actually quite a few because that's yeah. they've, yeah. they've repopularized radio drama as mm-hmm. podcast. So. I love that, yeah. and I think oh, I the problem yeah. is it's a huge amount of work, and it t- mm-hmm. it's very time consuming. It's um, almost like content doesn't scale. That you yeah. need, that you need. It's to- handcrafted. <laughs> well, that's yeah. It's, it's, well, it's they really call it they call it sound design, and I mean, yeah. you, you yeah. don't. There, there are people who are quite expert at it and take a lot of care. And for ninety percent of the content that's out there, it's it's not needed. But it's yeah. it's you know, it's like special effects in video. It's the that that extra oomph that you add to content that needs it, but don't. Don't put it on my my little radio stories about you know voting right. by mail or whatever yeah. it is I'm writing. I, I actually made that conscious decision because I I love that. And if I didn't have to make a living mm-hmm. and I didn't have any other interests in the world, I might spend a lot of time doing sound design and creating, you know, like uh, Ken Nordine's soundscapes and stuff. And oh, my God. Love Ken Nordine. I, I like turning younger people on to Ken Nordine because people have never heard of him. Mm-hmm. And he's the, amazing. Uh, amazing. He's well, one a, of the things I learned from listening to the original, ep- the original series of, of a serial was all of the things that I used to do to make my podcast quote better were the very things that they weren't doing. Like I would cut out pauses mm. and they would put in pauses yeah. and I would, I would try to avoid ums and ahs and all these things. And it, it actually, it turns out it can actually add to yeah. the authenticness of, of what you're doing. I've heard, it's uh, a, it's I've, a thin line because it can sound affected and it can sound a little right. precious 
and bit different. I mean, like, like that's a very sort of public radio kind it's of sound. I, it's, it's I'm glad Glass. you said it's it so. I didn't have, I, I'm glad no, you guys I'm, said it before. In fact, Ira says well. there's 45-second beats, and we edit it for those 45-second yeah. beats, but, and we but put what in we, pauses and... And we, you know, our show is fairly new. I've, I haven't been around for the entire entirety of the show. Mm-hmm. But when they debate, debuted the show seven years ago, one of the goals was we're public radio, but we're not trying to sound like the NPR mothership. We want to <laughs> sound like what, what Texas sounds like. And that doesn't mean everybody says y'all all the time. It just means that there's a little more of a laid back sort of conversational aspect to it. But we're not going the other direction and being unserious or trying to be precious about like uh, – sounding too folksy and too authentic and it's a, it's a, it's a line and you you just yeah. make editorial decisions about how do you want your show to sound and what's what's authenticity that's what it gets it gets down to is like your perception of authenticity so that was kind of the decision i made is that we want to get we want to make uh, we do this as live as possible it's one of the reasons we do it live with a mm-hmm. live uh, chat room and we used to have a live audience uh so that it's not edited it's not sound design it's the it's the opposite uh, and for the content that we're doing, I thought that was the best way to do it. And also because I come from a live radio background. Mm-hmm. But let me let me play. Let's introduce Shelley. Let's introduce people to Ken Nordine. So he was a was he from I think Chicago, Chicago, I think yeah. radio a personality who had a very beautiful voice and was very influenced by the 50s jazz <laughs> improvisation. Oh, yeah. Hipster stuff. There's actually a ton of Ken Nordine stuff on YouTube. Mm. I hope this isn't going to get us taken down. Let me play just... I was going to say, where are you, what rabbit holes are going to take you down, Leo? Well, it's all right. We're already in the rabbit hole. This is just... <laughs> right. I'll play just a few <laughs> seconds of this. Mm-hmm. This is uh, from his Word Jazz uh, album. It's called What Time Is It? Just You'll get an immediate idea of what we're talking about here. There was this guy who was a regular guy who lived a regular life. Got up 7.30 every morning. Had the same breakfast. The same wife. I'll let you. I'll let you. I'll leave office. this as an exercise for the uh, listener to pursue that. Look up Ken Nordine, and uh, you can find a lot of stuff. He's. I want to know what his audio settings are. I'm so curious. Oh, what, well, he had a beautiful, <laughs> beautiful. Voice. I know he did, but there's some processing in there, and it's great. Yeah, this is uh, ultra high fidelity. It says <laughs> doesn't say stereo, however. Yeah. So I don't. I don't know. Ultra. Good word. Ultra. Uh, he was maybe you might say i think i know that voice he did ads too he did a very famous and i'm gonna play a little bit of it levi's jeans ad yes yes oh somebody mentioned that in the chat that was uh extremely uh popular in 19 i want to say early 70s early 70s maybe let's play it this is very trippy there was a stranger who came into our town he was tall and had eyes that could look right to the bottom of you we might have welcomed him, except for one thing: his pants. <laughs> I'll leave you. I'll leave you wondering. <laughs> that commercial got a real Ralph Bashke feel to it. It did the, the yeah. animation with the, with the rotoscoping and the, the mm-hmm. animation. Oh, yeah! Wow. It was it was a Levi's uh, well, now commercial. I, now I want to watch. Very the trippy. Thing. Yeah, the late uh, legendary uh, Ken Nordine, who does does. I agree with you, Shelley. Deserves mm-hmm. a lot more mm-hmm. attention. Um, well, this is a delight. Let's take a little break. We'll come back. Uh, there is a lot more to talk about, and we're just getting to the heart of the matter. But first, since you were talking about a VPN uh, and protecting yourself online, Larry, I thought I'd mention yeah. our VPN sponsor, ExpressVPN. It's the only VPN I use. It's the one I trust 
People ask me all the time, how do you know that you could trust ExpressVPN? This is important. The reason you will use uh, a VPN, of course, is to, for there's really three good reasons to use a VPN. Uh, to keep people from, you know, hacking you, watching what you're doing at a coffee shop. That's how we started using VPNs. Actually, we started them in business, right? So that you could use the company network safely, even if you weren't on premises. Do uh, you also use it? Sometimes people use it for geographic uh, relocation. So you can watch videos on Netflix UK or watch all the manga you want on uh, Netflix uh, Japan. But the, but the reason a lot of people these days use it and the reason you were using it, Larry, is for privacy. But it's important to understand that, yes, your ISP can't see what you're doing. You're hiding yourself. You're, you're using a, a, a different IP address when you visit a website. But the people who can see what you're doing are the VPN company, the server you're coming out of. So it's very important that you trust the VPN provider. ExpressVPN, I trust them implicitly. Now, of course, they have the third-party audits. But they've actually engineered their own VPN protocol. It's called Lightway. To keep your data secure without sacrificing speed. And we know that they don't do any logging. They use, and there was just an article about this on Bleeping Computer, a custom Debian distribution that, re, that wipes itself every day. They, every reboot, everything's wiped from the drive. There's nothing there to in the logs. And it launches its VPN server in memory, in RAM, so that, and it's sandboxed, so it can't write to the drive. So they take all these extra steps to make sure that there is zero logging, there is they are not keeping track of what you're doing. They can't, they couldn't, even if they wanted to. ExpressVPN is awesome. It is the way to protect yourself online. Uh, they they do their own special protocol. ExpressVPN is so fast. You can put it on your uh, router. It actually works on a number of routers. The whole family protected, they won't even know because they, there's no speed degradation. It's really awesome. This level of bespoke technology is what allows ExpressVPN to provide superior speeds and enhanced privacy and protection. They really care. They work really hard. And Lightway, their their own protocol is open source. Of course, it's been audited by third parties. You can look at it yourself. So if you're, you know, that's one way. I think you've got to use software that's open source if you want to protect your security and privacy. Otherwise... You know, who knows what kind of backdoors are in there? Not with ExpressVPN. It's 2022, folks, in case you didn't know. You need to use a VPN when you go online. You need to protect your privacy and your security. If you don't have one yet, even if you do, I want you to go to expressvpn.com slash twit. When you buy a one-year package, they're going to give you three extra months free. That brings it down to below seven bucks a month. I think that's a very fair price for what you get. Please don't use free VPNs because if they're if they're not charging you, they're finding another way to make money. EXPRESSVPN.com slash twit. And and read up on all the technologies and all the things they're doing that will I think reassure you, as it has me, that these guys are going the extra mile to give you a VPN that is truly private and secure. ExpressVPN.com slash it we thank them so much for their support of our show they've been a longtime supporter of the uh, network only vpn i use and trust expressvpn.com thank you expressvpn all right let's see here we never really did decide whether figma should be uh, the figma acquisition should be allowed but 
that's for the lawyers. That's that's up to the lawyers. I would love I, I would love to see the argument for it, where they're saying this represents a substantial threat to the market. Mm. We were talking about uh, cereal, the cereal podcast. That's in the news this week because the cereal, the subject of the very first series, mm-hmm. was released from prison. Yep. Yeah. Wow. That's the. I think that's the most success any podcast has ever achieved to right. to actually get somebody he. So what's the story? Because I did not listen to Serial. His name is Adnan Saeed. He was a high school student when he was convicted of murdering his high school sweetheart. He's been serving a life sentence. Uh, The judge said, I think based on the revelations from Serial, that uh, the the prosecution in the original trial withheld evidence... Didn't didn't give him a fair trial. His own attorney, who has since passed, was maybe a little suspect as well. Mm. Uh, the judge didn't say, "I acquit you, go be free." He just said, "We need to give you a new trial in the interest of justice and fairness. Uh, you need a new trial." Now he may not ever get tried again. Prosecutors have thirty days to decide if they're going to proceed with a new trial or just drop the charges. He's currently at home detention. Uh, of course, the family of his high school sweetheart, Heyman Lee, is very unhappy because they believe he did it. Now, I didn't listen to anybody. Who's listened to Syria? Yeah, I listened to a lot of this episode, yeah. Do you and think? It, what do you were, think? Well, you know, based on the episode, and I've not independently researched the case, uh, so I want to be respectful of the family's concerns. But based on the, the podcast, it seemed like definitely he's due a new trial because there was a lot of questions about – who, whether someone else might have done it, they presented a lot of evidence, which I think most juries would agree would would certainly put into question this guy's guilt. And yet he has been sitting in prison all this year. So it's a great example of, I don't know whether you call it investigative journalism or advocacy journalism. Uh, I don't believe that the serial podcast took a position on guilt or innocence, but it kind of made the case that there, this guy probably at least deserves another trial. And I'm glad he's getting one. That or, seems or, fair. That yeah. seems fair. It's, they're not saying he's innocent. Although, really, the, I, I'm told that the joy of listening to this serial was debating. Mm. Oh, he, mm-hmm. he didn't do it. Oh, he did it. No, he definitely didn't. No, he didn't do it. Yeah, you were right? back and forth. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 12 episodes back in 2014. Uh, the New York Times has since purchased serial. So uh, <laughs> they're, they're putting out a new episode called Adnan is Out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sarah Koenig, who did produce it, really, I think, in some ways, you know, podcasting was already 10 years old by the yeah. time she did this, but in some yeah. ways put podcasting oh, on the map. It, it, it was huge. It, it actually had a big impact on CBS because people, I, I've been pushing podcasting at CBS since the 90s, and you know they would basically laugh at me back then. And I think Serial really opened up the eyes of the entire broadcast industry that this technology, you know, needs to be explored. So it was well, and it's certainly audience all is an audience that's worth courting. I think is what it yeah. proved. Well, and it was huge. Yeah. It was millions. It was in the millions. Yeah. So I yeah, mean, that absolutely. was that was you know yeah. that's a substantial number. Uh, it also created a wave, for better or worse, of true crime podcasts. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Everybody was copying this, right? I wonder if serial. <laughs> Serial came around at the right place in the right time, but it also was a sweet spot for people who are already habituated to crime as a narrative, like you have on Law and Order shows or the shows on the CSI shows or um, 
Oh, what is that show that Keith Morris, uh, Nightline, Dateline? Um, yeah, Dateline. Oh, yeah. oh it's so I much better. Dateline. I mean, America. Oh, I, Amer- oh, Amer- oh, I hate Dateline. I always think of Bill Hader's impersonation of Keith Morris, which is just <laughs> damaging because I'm sure Keith Morris is a fine journalist, but all I can see is Bill Hader. Ow. Um, <laughs> but Americans as an audience love thinking of, of crime as, as a form of, of entertainment, whether it's puzzle box mystery solving or straightforward yeah. morality plays. The Brits do too. Yeah. I mean, British, you watch Brit TV, they're, they're all over this and, kind of and stuff. And true crime is this huge element of, of podcasting now mm-hmm. and there's actually been a fair bit of backlash to Serial because there are, there are people who actually believe mm-hmm. that Serial did not give Adnan Syed a fair shake in terms of there's some evidence on Serial that has since been disputed. Oh, really? And, uh. Yeah, and, and that's that's some of the backlash that, that sort of came out this week. And I'm not really up on all of that. I was a little surprised by it. But what's interesting about that is just the, the degree to which uh, the, the perception is that they were going after a dramatic narrative and didn't necessarily do all of the homework that they should have. And there's been criticism of the New York Times that they mm-hmm. didn't do updates sooner so, you know, there's, there's a, there are a lot of moving parts to it, and I think the, the true crime aspect of it and the, the, the degree to which the true, true, true crime fascination is kind of a gentrified, let's appeal to a certain demographic, demographic yeah. of people who are interested in, in crime podcasts mm-hmm. is sort of an unfortunate side effect of it. And, and again, I didn't, uh, and still haven't listened to it, I probably should, but mm-hmm. uh, it strikes me, you know, Sarah Koenig was a producer on This American Life, which mm-hmm. is, I, I've always said, the best radio show ever made. And uh, except for the Texas Standard, which is a fabulous, yeah, fabulous thanks, show. Leo. <laughs> <laughs> you can come on too. But I think the California but, Report is a really great audio uh, it is. show yeah. too. I, yeah. I, I also got show. the sense that the focus. Her focus in Syria was telling a good story. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, and that's what's true about This American Life as well it's not journalism yeah. in the sense of well we want to present you with the facts mm-hmm. it was let's make you know there were cliffhangers let's make a gripping story and that's when journalism bleeds into fiction or yeah. storytelling and i don't know if i like that well it's it's the new yorker has done that with some long-form reporting so, too yeah, yeah. um the Qualm I'd throw up there is when you reduce reporting, not reduce, but when you in, include the element of entertainment in reporting, um, sometimes the facts get in the way of a good story. Because you focus on, well, exactly. is this entertaining? Yeah. Right? yeah. yeah. Well, and are you, are, have, you, have you hit your cliffhanger? You have X number of episodes, maybe it's yeah. 13, whatever the series is. Are you going to have a cliffhanger for every one of those episodes? And how are you going to come to a stop, especially yeah. if the person you're focusing on mm-hmm. is in jail? And don't forget... The person who lost her life still lost her life. However yeah. your show comes out and whether this person mm. is innocent or guilty, that family doesn't have a resolution yet. Right. I would love a podcast from the perspective right. of the people who are like, my loved one was turned into fodder for a true crime podcast. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Nope. Wouldn't that be a show? Well, we nope. don't see those yeah. folks who are like, my loved one had this terrible ending. The, the the complexity of who they were has been reduced to them being the object of someone else's story that is being presented as more interesting. And I have to constantly relitigate yeah. this experience yeah. as this podcast comes out every week. Like, if you're going to have a true crime universe, you should you should point out the ripple effects, I think. It shouldn't yeah. just be these stories about, did so-and-so do it? Pause. But you remember Dateline's to catch a predator series back in the 
late, I think it was the early 2000s, and it mm-hmm. ended when one of their suspects committed suicide. Yeah. You know, they showed up with a, with a vigilante squad, and the guy killed himself. And it probably wouldn't have happened if they let the police investigate that alleged uh, child yeah. predator rather than having a bunch of vigilantes and not particularly careful journalists do it. Yeah, you know? I mean, we've seen... <laughs> Uh, citizen journalism uh, yeah. and the ugly side of it on Reddit uh, yeah. many, many times, you know. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so the election was stolen. <laughs> yeah. We can uh, prove it. <laughs> uh, so I just, um, I mean, every, so is it, it's certainly painted as in fiction and nonfiction and journalism, the case that the police sometimes, this is the juke and the stats, are more interested mm-hmm. in finding a resolution than finding the actual culprit i don't know how true that is uh if i were a police officer i would i would not be looking for resolution unless i was sure that that was the person who did it because then you're letting the person who did it walk free right that's bad but uh but i don't know so that's one thing you get the impression that well prosecutors and the police are just looking to for their stats they're not trying to solve the crime burden of proof is a really it, it can be an onerous duty um if you've ever gone to jury duty for a criminal trial you will sit there and the judge and the prosecutor will tell you our job that owing to the premise that you are innocent until found guilty um it is the burden of the prosecution to have to say this evidence points this conclusion and it cannot be beyond a reasonable doubt exactly that's a that's a high bar to clear and I'm going to argue that in some ways it's good that it's a high bar. It's designed that way. But what we yeah. saw... Is it better? Is it... But which is worse? what we see, though, is people who are trying to figure out ways to either walk around the bar right. or say, okay, we, we can, like, carefully lift a leg over the bar in a technicality. Is it worse yeah. to falsely convict something, somebody uh, yeah. of a crime or worse to let a criminal go free? And, and I think we've... De- as a country, uh, we have decided it's better to err on the side of caution and, yeah. and and not imprison somebody falsely right yeah uh which means some criminals get go free but well, i think a, a lot yeah. of police and uh, prosecutors don't like that idea either well it's, you know it, what also really all that time into doing your job and you're like oh man like you don't that would be um the flip side of this is did you follow the sherry papini case the woman who faked her own kidnapping mm-hmm. up in redding california yeah so this mm-hmm. woman back in 2016 disappears and it was a hoax. Yeah, a month later, she's like, "Oh, I was." Ki-. She's like, "I was kidnapped by targeted minorities here, and oh, it was terrible. They tortured me and they branded me, and it turned out that she and an ex-boyfriend had cooked up the whole thing." And by the way, she's going to jail now. Yeah, she is. She got sentenced this past week. Um, the video of her interrogation has hit YouTube, and um, I, <laughs> I'm not proud of this. I was doing some really tedious inbox cleaning out and I had it playing in the background just because I was kind of curious, but listening to the process of interrogation where um, she's spinning her tail for the cops and every time she didn't have an answer to a question, she's like, I just wanted to go home to my kids and watching them patiently and carefully attack her story from different angles and ask questions and tell her what That's they a knew. Real skill, isn't it? And they were non-reactive and they yeah. were so calm and so patient and they kept trying to establish Good. a rapport. And it hit me the sheer volume of work that goes into mm-hmm. developing those skills and being able to use them is really is is really phenomenal. Mm-hmm. What's worrying though is how many people mm-hmm. have those experiences where they don't have folks who have that kind of experience coming in with them. Like 
that I think is where the real risk is, is that we just don't have right. the people, the skill and the time that we need to to make sure that we are all presumed innocent. Yeah, and you have, you have racial bias or you have other biases yeah. that impact all elements, whether it be the prosecutors, the police, yeah. uh, who, the, who the victim is, who the defendant is, uh, and, and all of those things. Yeah. You know, the care that's taken is dependent on care, basically, yeah. and it's dependent on the time and the support that you have from the people that are over you and whether you're being pressured. And, and frankly, if it's a crime that has a victim, by the victim's family, because the yeah. victim's family is desperate to solve this crime and find out who's done it. And so whether the pressure is that there's too much, that there's a quota or system or whether there's a pressure that there's a mother who really wants to know who yeah. took her daughter's life. That's a difficult challenge for, yeah. for law enforcement. Further made difficult by a true crime podcast yeah. about the mm-hmm. whole thing, yeah. uh, stirring up questions maybe that don't deserve to be asked. So, yeah, right. uh, yeah I, it's a- I know a lot about this because I watch Murders in the Building on television. <laughs> I, I've learned, I've learned Martin, all about the Martin Short's excellent oh, show about. Us. It yeah. is such yes. a love letter to a very specific type of New York experience, isn't it? It's also, yeah. uh, I think, uh, all about podcasting and oh, yeah. about true crime podcasting. Yeah. I hate shows. And, and also the interface between have. the podcasters I just want you to know that. <laughs> they all have such great apartments, though. That's what kills me. <laughs> really. I know. The aesthetics of that show. Doesn't everybody like- in television have great apartments? <laughs> I mean, yes. You ever well, seen a really terrible apartment? And- I have been in <laughs> Steve Martin's apartment in uh, on the uh, just off Central Park West, and it is Ooh. very nice. That's that's, a, that's yeah. a, how was the art? Apparently oh, the, the art's art, great. Yeah. I actually asked him to give me a tour, and he was happy to do so. Oh, you go in his, nice. his library, mm-hmm. which is a beautiful, you know, exactly as you'd imagine it, book lined mahogany library leather couches, and there's two, not one, but two David Hockneys on the wall. <gasps> It's oh. like, okay, fine. Okay, fine. I'm, we're sitting there and we're That's having dinner. I said, is that a Picasso? He said, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like oh, wow. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Very nice. And I remember standing looking out at Central Park mm-hmm. and he said, yeah. Actually, I don't know if I should say this out loud. Oh, what the hell? You don't know, Steve. Uh, <laughs> he said, when we bought this place, my first wife said, we really got to have a Central Park view. And he said, no, we don't need a Central Park view. He said, I'm glad we got the Central Park view. Yeah. <laughs> I'll uh, remember okay. that the next time I buy an apartment in New York. Yeah, get the Central Park <laughs> view if you can. I don't know. You live in an Eichler. You're doing good. Yeah, Eichler's not <laughs> well, bad. Don't Eichler's have internal courtyards that are... By the way, my Eichler, my Eichler is 300,000 square feet in case... Um, 300,000? Well, is that Donald Trump well, reckoning? I, mean, I, I want to be able to get a billion dollar loan. <laughs> okay, yeah. That's what I thought. <laughs> Don't, right. But don't tell the IRS. I <laughs> no, right. it's three hundred for the IRS, right? Get the yeah. Central Park view, even if it's an Eichler. I'm just yeah. saying. Yeah. I'm just saying. I'm just trying to imagine the warping of time and space you'd have to go into to get that. <laughs> All right, let's no, take. I, a, I learned to exaggerate from uh, Letitia from the uh, Letitia James. <laughs> Letitia James, she, she taught me how you're supposed to do this. Uh, let's take a little break. I'm having fun with you guys. We're going to talk more about TV movies. You do, you, uh, Shelley, you do a, a, a TV movie podcast, right? I do a mo- classic movie podcast. Oh, even better. Oh, really? It's, oh, I love classic movies. Like a TCM it's, podcast. Indeed. It's called Lions, these, Towers, and Shields. And we talk about... <laughs> Thank you, Leo. I appreciate it. We, we talk about one classic movie each episode, and I've had oh, the pleasure of having you put Lisa the pellet as a guest the, on several episodes. Do you put oh, the pellet in the pestle and the mortar with the? Wait a minute. Let me yeah, get. We haven't gotten to 
on to Danny Kay yet. <laughs> <laughs> you know? uh, we just I'm did the best in our lives. lives. We, did, uh, oh, this... we do a lot of noir. We do mm. a lot of, uh, and, I, and I'm always looking for fun guests, but mm. uh, a lot of incomparable panelists join me. And what's fun about the Incomparable Network is it's all these, these geeky, nerdy people who know about uh, sci-fi and uh, superheroes. And I know nothing about superheroes and, and could, you know, just do not. And so I was amazed and astounded when they not only welcomed me, but when they started coming on my show and talking about it, classic movies in really intelligent ways. So it's, nice. it's been a lot of fun. Lines, Towers, and Shields. And I love the album art because it looks yeah. like the old RKO. Yeah. I know. Isn't it great? It's I didn't so black and I'm, white. A, yeah. I'm a TCM fanboy. I watch yeah. it. Me too. Almost awesome. every day. Yeah. Shelly has let me indulge my Barbara O'Neill fixation. Which oh, my will... God. The Barbara oh, O'Neill, she... O'Neill Memorial Highway Barbara O'Neill? the best. So Barbara O'Neill she... played Scarlett O'Hara's <laughs> mother in Gone with the Wind, but she also made a completely bonkers, well, she's made two completely bonkers movies. Yes. One of which Only we one of which we're going to watch. Yes. We're not doing the other one. Do we're you... not going to do the toy, the toy wife. Because no, the we're toy... not doing the toy wife. Oh, Go man, ahead, that Lisa. one's great. Wait a minute. So do you watch the movie while you're doing the podcast? No, Is it that it's kind not of a live ahead of time. Oh, okay. We have done a live commentary once, but no, we just yeah. have everybody watch and then we talk about it for about an but hour. Barbara but go O'Neil. ahead and talk about Barbara O'Neill. Is she, what, what was it? The, um, all, the, all that heaven will allow? All this, all this in heaven too. All this in heaven too, where Betty Davis plays a button down spinster, wildly casting against type, who's, who was hired as the nanny for Charles Boyer and Barbara O'Neill. Barbara O'Neill is just unhinged. She spends the entire movie just turned up to 11 with eyes wide, nostrils flaring, skirts flying everywhere. She flounces in a high dudgeon and she gives these great monologues about how everything that is mine rightfully so has been stolen from me and like frames people <laughs> for great. murder and there's poison involved and the first time we watched this movie we are like, oh she just keeps going. <laughs> like Betty Davis is just kind of clinging to a corner of the screen wondering what happened. <laughs> wow. and, and so Shelley was kind of Every time I suggest something for Lion's Tower Shields, I'm like, oh, you have to watch this because it's just bonkers. And Shelly's like, fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, the other, but see, the other side of that coin is a lot of times I will suggest a movie that I love and adore or that I think is crazy. And then I will convince all these nice people who haven't seen it mm-hmm. to come and watch it with me. And there's always the Shelly, what have you gotten me into phase of the episode? <laughs> and I enjoy that so much. <sighs> So of the four, Angel Face, All This in Heaven 2, Gone with the Winter, I Am the Law, which movie clip should, uh, should I play? All oh, This in all Heaven 2? All This in Heaven 2. Yeah, oh, yeah. Charles Boyer, man. Yeah. 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 Early in her long Probably narrative no flashback. Left. Oh, copyright, <laughs> schmoppy right. <laughs> it's old enough to no copyright. It's, it's, just it's 1940. That... Is that, are we there yeah, yet? I don't know. I'm going to have to are send you a message. We're not out of copyright now. And Warner's, Warner Brothers still is, you know. They insist. Yeah, they figured it out. All right. Never mind. I, I no, do I want appreciate to hear it, that we've talked Yo, about You want to hear it. You want to get Ken me in trouble now. Tech That's right. <laughs> right. <laughs> my sneaky way to take over your show. All Leo. this in heaven too. All right, let me... It, I, it's not playing. Maybe it's trying uh, to protect me from from my worst inclination. Maybe it's maybe it's because I'm using Firefox. Oh, no, here we go. Here we go. There's the beautiful Charles Boyer. It's, it's just sitting there. Here we go, spinning. There we go. There's go. Oh, there's Betty Davis. Yes? Madame la Duchesse. What year was this? 1940. 1940. Really? Oh, great, great. What time is it? Era. You asked me for 11, madame. Not if I am inconveniencing you. 
This is so against type for Betty Davis. Right? You're right. Yes. That's she's, why I wanted to do it. She's I, in and the then mouse. when I discovered yep. Phil, uh, when I discovered Lisa's enjoyment of uh, Barbara O'Neill, I was like, all right, we have to do that. Does Betty Davis end up being a poisoner? No. Oh, she should. No, she ends up being the poor put upon little oh, little uh sad. right. Little She's very little. mousy throughout. Oh, Aww. yeah. No, it's it's you, the the movie the framing device is ridiculous in this movie, which is yeah. another reason I love it so. But um Barbara O'Neill, like what you heard through the door, like that is pretty much the note that she That's hits repeatedly. Yes. And, and do so you great. do you tell people where they can stream these shows so you don't get just get Turner your Turner Classic yes. movies. We were playing the well, Sometimes yes and sometimes no. I always yeah. give a streaming link as well as a media link every once in a while because I actually have a rather large Plex library. Every once in a while I will put something up that isn't streamable, and so I have to help my panelists out a little bit yeah. uh, with finding where they can stream it. But I always have a JustWatch.com link to where you can stream mm-hmm. it or where you can get mm-hmm. the physical media. I hate it when I get all excited about something and I can't stream it. Oh yeah, you know same what? here. Which is why I collected physical media over the years and, and still do that because Plex, especially for classic yeah. movies. It's very, and it's not predictable. It's very inconsistent. You'll say, oh, well, certain, certain studio made it. Well, that doesn't mean that the legal rights were cleared, nor does it right. mean that the studio that made it continues to own it. It's all very complicated, especially for Paramount movies, although it's much better than it used to be. And I don't even pretend to understand all of it. I just have to look them up on an individual basis and go, oh, that one isn't right. streaming. Maybe we won't do it. Or it is streaming. Mm-hmm. Let's do it now. I subscribe to uh, the Criterion uh, channel. Which has mm-hmm. a lot of great old movies. It does. And obscure yeah. movies and things. On well, it. and they do great Blu-ray releases, oh, too. Yeah. There's some, the Criterion I used releases to buy they their, have. I used to buy their oh, laser yeah. discs, and that's oh, why I got the channel. <laughs> and so you can actually see the, the their effort in the stream as well. So that's mm-hmm. kind of nice. Yeah. Uh, let's take a little break. I don't know how we got on that. We're, we're testing content ID today on, uh, <laughs> on Twit. And we'll see what happens. See if Warner Brothers is worried about 1940s movies. Our show today brought to you by ZipRecruiter. We use ZipRecruiter. We've hired so many people. Frankly, there's only two ways you can get hired at Twit. Either we know somebody who knows you. That's, I think, how we hired Benito, right? Or do we use ZipRecruiter for you, Benito? I can't remember. You know Jason. That's right. Uh, John moved next door about 15 years. Your 15th anniversary. Happy uh, anniversary, John. 15 years ago, he just moved next door. He said, they're going to give me a job if I just moved next door. And it did. It worked. Uh, on the other hand, we just uh, we we just lost our, our dear, beloved uh, continuity person. Uh, took another job. Sometimes that happens. But that's a big loss because that person does a lot of work with copy and with, with uh, working with the editors to make sure the ads get done right, working with the clients to make sure they're getting their needs met. And uh, we were down a person. We go to ZipRecruiter. Look who we've got, Viva, who's wonderful. ZipRecruiter, Lisa goes there every single time because it's just the easiest way to hire. It's also really effective. Uh, We have a lot. You wouldn't know it to watch this show, but we've got engineers. We've got editors. We've got producers. We've got a continuity department. We've got salespeople. And and almost in every case, ZipRecruiter has brought us those talented people. It's critical for us as business owners to get the right people in the right job, right? So whether you're hiring for a podcast or your own growing business, ZipRecruiter is the place to go for a couple of reasons. You post on ZipRecruiter, it goes to 100 plus job sites plus social networks. So you're posting to everywhere, right? More people will see it. And the more people who see it, the more likely that right person, that needle on the haystack will see it. But 
How do you find that needle in a haystack? That's where ZipRecruiter really, their technology really, really shines. All of the interest comes into your ZipRecruiter interface. So they reformat the resumes so you can scan through them easily. They allow you to add screening questions so that you can eliminate people who just, you know, don't fit the your needs. They also... Uh, Take all the phone calls you would get, all the inbox email you would get, put that into the interface so you don't get bombarded. You just go when you when you have some time and look at the ZipRecruiter interface. But then ZipRecruiter does something that's so cool because they already have a million resumes on file. People come to ZipRecruiter looking for work. They go through those resumes and match them to your job. So they find the right candidates, people with the qualifications you need, and then send you their names. And you can invite them to apply, whoever, whichever ones that you like. Now, the reason that's so successful is when you get invited, imagine you're applying for a job and a company comes to you and says, we'd like to hire you. You're much more likely to follow through on the process. It's just, a, it's a great way to start a relationship. Four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter will get a quality candidate within the first day. I would say for us, it's within hours, every single time. And when you're down a person, Every hour counts. You want to get that job filled. Look, if you love our shows, you love the people who make our shows, you're going to want to try ZipRecruiter for free today. You need to remember our special URL, though, ZipRecruiter.com slash twit. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash T-W-I-T. You know, my wife Lisa says it every time, ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. It's where we get our best employees. We're very happy to have you all. ZipRecruiter.com slash twit. Uh, all right, moving right along. Do not make chicken with NyQuil. <laughs> Very important. It's such an expensive ingredient. Why would you waste it breathing well, a no. chicken breast in it? It turns out nobody was till the FDA put out a press release. Oh, my gosh. Oh, those poor um, people. NyQuil chicken, the notion of cooking chicken in NyQuil, which have, uh, needless to say is a very bad idea, yes, right? Yes, Right? We all agree. First of all, it's going to turn out bright green. Second, it's poison, Ugh. okay? Maybe if you're- But other than that- Barbara Stanwyck or Betty Davis. <laughs> if you're Betty okay. at the end of all that heaven will left. Yeah, but- Charles Boyer is dying of NyQuil poisoning. NyQuil poisoning. My darling, what was in this chicken? For some reason- <laughs> Why is it bright green? Some reason. So it was a. It was put in a, as a like a joke on 4chan. It's five years ago. Oh my! Oh my god! Five years. Ago. Wow! And then apparently some people made TikToks about it. But for some reason, last week we mentioned this on Twig. The FDA released a press release saying it's, it was titled "A Recipe for Danger." Oh, Social man. media. I would watch that movie. A recipe for <laughs> danger. You know what? That would be a good. Movie. You know, you say that, and teenagers are like, "Yes, yeah, what? Is it? Uh -huh. Well, that's right. the problem. Yes, let's find out. That's the problem. Oh my gosh. The re FDA referred to it as a recent trend. They cite no recent examples, according to Engadget. Uh, there were so this press release went out on September fifteenth. On September fourteenth, the day before the notice, there were five searches. For NyQuil chicken in the app. Uh. The day after the release, <laughs> there were 7,000. <laughs> Literally an increase of 1,400 times. 
This is we know this as the Streisand effect. This is hilarious until you realize that what's going to happen is you are going to have a genuine public health hazard, and mm-hmm. the FDA may want to say something, and everyone will be like, oh, "Is this Nyquil chicken all over again?" Like, Dear FDA, please get a subscription to Know Your Meme. <laughs> there you go. Well, yeah, I mean, there you go. Well, this is a because I can't problem. make fun of them out of context, but yeah. there are ways you could suss it out and figure out whether, in fact, this is a real thing or not. And Know Your Meme is certainly one of so, those places. Like, that you're not it, wrong. It's a bad idea. Does this point to like a wider disconnect between like? The, the information ecosystem on different social media apps compared to how uh, folks in the government are able to keep on top of that information and put it mm-hmm. into context. Yes, that plus. we're all extremely online. So we're all like, oh, my God, the minute you see something on TikTok, like find a legitimate source. But what if you've got somebody who has only heard about the tickety talk from like a friend of a friend and they are genuinely concerned about someone comes and goes, did you hear teenagers on the tickety talk or cooking? Right. Because, because remember Tide Pods and and that happened and there was criticism for why didn't anybody do anything about this? And so somebody, somebody at the FDA thought we need to get on top of this. And somebody else at the FDA thought, Oh my God, look at all the clicks. My press releases. And then you add in misinformation and distrust of government. And I'm sure somebody is going to tell us that NyQuil chicken will cure COVID and they don't want us to Oh, know God, yeah. Inject NyQuil. Larry, you're yes. going to end up being like cited. Your, 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 your whole know, face there it. just got turned into a screen grab for some <laughs> Facebook group that says journalist says that, that NyQuil chicken okay. cures COVID. Oh, well. I'm <laughs> famous. I'll be famous. Yeah, you can't yeah. fault the NDA's intent. The algorithm has spoken. <laughs> it is a recipe yeah. for danger. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. But, <laughs> but uh, there is a, also a risk that by publicizing it. Now, the good news is no one has died of NyQuil chicken to, as we oh, as we go yeah. to press. Uh, apparently, the FDA help you sleep better, though. Yeah. Larry. Okay. <laughs> well, you're curious. Larry, no. No. Okay. Uh, the good FDA has. Uh, if you didn't want that, you could use Dayquil, though. I think. Oh, right? Lord. No, the FDA has only posted once before about a viral ch- challenge, and that was the deadly Benadryl challenge oh, from yeah. 2020. I don't know what that is, and I'm not sure I want us Larry to be invested like by which we popularize it. Well, I know right, that, and, I and know that there is somebody who tends to cook things. I'm going, Do not cook with Benadryl, more, no. Yeah, no. there are more and more over-the-counter drugs when you go to the drugstore that are actually behind a locked case. Yeah. Right. Because people are buying these things for all sorts of, you know inappropriate reason so yeah. i do not recommend that you cook with nyquil i just want to be very clear about no, that yeah. do not yeah, see no. we can cut that part out so we don't have to worry about <laughs> every time i have to sign the form in california you have to sign a form if you're buying a bottle of like the good sudafed um the yeah, stuff that actually works because people make meth out of it yeah and every time i do yeah. it i always I know have that to like from breaking bad i have to bite the urge to talk about how i'm i'm, I'm making small batch artisanal meth <laughs> like like I see, I have jokes time up I have about to cooking properties of Nyquil, and I'm I'm not going to say them because they're funny, but I'm not doing it. Yeah, no, no, like the the devil on my shoulders. Go ahead, make the joke. It's the Bay Area, but um, artisanal <laughs> small batch artisanal. Well, also, you're not on a podcast at that point, so you know yeah. it's fine. But yeah. <laughs> so you all watch a lot of uh, TV. Do you think Breaking Bad actually gave you a recipe for making really high quality meth, or was that just made up? I don't know. I <laughs> okay, I'm just asking. I wasn't ask, watching it for that purpose. For I didn't actually watch Breaking Bad, so I oh. uh, just know. 
Shelley, one of the great shows of all time. <laughs> There's only so many anti-hero shows that you can watch. Right? I mean, I watched yeah. Mad Men. Come on. I did that. Oh, was, I love that. Oh, yeah. I love Actually, this is, so this is a recommendation. We watched Fletch last night, the new Fletch movie with Is John. it good? It is such a fun way to spend your time. So he's he's kind of he's, shaking the Chevy Chase well, uh, he's, stigma he, against Fletch. Yeah, he's made it his own. Made and it his own. Um, my husband loves the books, loves, loves, loves the books, and gave it his stamp of approval. And Ham's casting is really perfect, and they had a really solid supporting cast. John Ham, who was in Mad Men, yeah. is now playing. Fletch. John Slatterly. It, John Slatterly. Slattery's in it, too, yeah. As his, as his pissy, pissy editor, and it. it's just a delight. Yeah. <laughs> I love I just, that Ham and Slattery are in stuff together. It's yeah, so adorable. Yeah. They always are. Sounds They're like great. my favorite breakfast, Ham and Slattery. Ham and Slattery. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds very English, like you yes. might have it if you went to London. Can I, do, I, do you have tomatoes and beans with that Ham and uh, Getty Images has banned the use of AI-generated content yeah. over fears of legal challenge. Now, this has really been, I think, a fascinating, I called it a Cambrian explosion mm-hmm. of AI with, with uh, of course, it started with Dolly 2, mm-hmm. and then a stable diffusion broke it open because you could download it running on your own compu- computer. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are others. They make amazing images but Getty, uh, <laughs> quite reasonably, is a little upset because all of these AI generators train on publicly available image sets. And apparently... Who owns those images? It's not unusual, according to Emmy, that you will find... Or Getty, rather, that you will find the Getty Images watermark in images created by these AI art generators because so many of them have been trained on Getty Images oh. watermark. <laughs> Getty Donald images. Trump looks much better in that picture than he does in any other photograph I've ever seen. <laughs> you know, when you shared that story with us, I thought about the end of William Gibson's novel, um, Count Zero, yeah. where a curator is tasked by a billionaire to find the elusive artist who has been doing remixed um, collages and mixed media. And she discovers, well, the novel's like 40 years old, we can play. She discovers it's an AI that's creating the art. <sighs> And I, it's, I find it really interesting that we're now getting to the point where we're basically taking the suite of technologies that we call AI and pointing it at a data set known as images and saying, here, mix and match and find a way to recombine them in exciting new ways. And we'll find a way to use that, what, what you come up with. Who's the artist? Is it, um, is his name Rukowski who does, um, Greg Rukowski ah. does these beautiful, you see him on the covers of mm-hmm. uh, science fiction works and and so forth. Yeah, that does look real science fiction-y. He, uh, he uh, is upset because he is often used, you know how you, mm-hmm. these, these work is you give them a text f- phrase uh, to describe it and then they, they draw it. He's, uh, his name appears very commonly in a lot of these illustrations because they're looking to get it mm-hmm. in that style. He's Polish. Mm. Uh, he's created fantasy scenes for Dungeons and Dragons and magic. He's got a really distinctive style. Very beautiful, I mm-hmm. think, uh, light and so forth. Yeah. Uh, he's kind of like a Kincaid, the master of light, <laughs> who is another name who appears a lot, apparently, in the uh, descriptions. Um, mm. uh, Stable Diffusion, which is the, the one that's open source and you can install yourself, is te- uh, trained on 5 billion image text pairings um although andy bio we talked about this when he did it a few uh, um, weeks ago analyzed 12 million of the 5 billion and found many come from sites like pinterest and fine art america and 
there is some suspicion that Rakowski's work was actually scraped from his portfolio on ArtStation. And so he's a little upset. He's a little upset. He says AI should exclude living artists from its database and instead focus on works under the public domain. There's a huge financial issue in evolving AI from being nonprofit research to a commercial product project without asking artists for permission. I think a lot about this because my former job at Texas Standard was to run the website. And so a lot of times I was looking for images and we had paid sources of images, but we would a lot of times go to Wikipedia or to Flickr with CC rights uh, stuff, so if all sorts of different ways to get images and we had to be very careful and in fact we've gotten a few takedowns because mm. something was labeled incorrectly and so when i saw that and we don't have a getty subscription because it's kind of pricey yeah. uh, a lot of journalistic entities do your ap and npr and, and various most newspapers typically have getty and so i feel like it's kind of a protection for the lowly website person who just really needs a picture of the president or of the border fence or of the latest terrible incident that happened that we need a photograph of and doesn't necessarily know the provenance of it. It's hard enough when theoretically there are credit lines and you know the, the source of a piece of art or piece of imagery, whether it's a photograph or whether it's an art, but yeah. piece of art. But then you go and you add the AI element and there are, as I know, because I've read an awful lot of uh, uh, Flickr uh, Creative Commons uh, listings, uh, a lot of images, they say you have permission to remix it with credit or you have you don't have permission to remix it at all or you can remix it up to this point and all of that assumes art or photographs that were created by actual humans but you get ai in the mix and it's really hard for somebody to know mm -hmm. you know if they're 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 being honest they're tr you're trying to only use things that you have permission to use and to give full credit where it's due but you don't necessarily have any sort of realistic expectation that you are being accurate when you give that credit. I kind of think of it more as a kind of a fair use. You're doing mm -hmm. your dwindle in our uh, chat room says as an artist, I've studied the work of other artists. That's how I learned how to do things. Why shouldn't AI be willing to do that? It's not an exact duplicate mm -hmm. of the work of art. Yeah. It's influenced by or it's styled like. Yeah. I think that should be fine. So Harvard University has something called the Studio Habits of Mind where they've broken down how artists work. And one of the thi one of the there there are eight studio habits of mind you have and one of them is to actually immerse yourself into an art world so sure. that you become familiar with it and then observe. Um also I desperately oh. need to address your chat because there's somebody named Ada Sink there. Ada Sink, we have two different um, William Gibson novels with two different cases of hunting yeah, down it. an artist. In Count Zero, it's Marley Krishtova, the curator, who goes to look for the AI Wintermute who's making the little boxes and pastiches. In Pattern Recognition, it's Case Pollard who finds the video artist Nora <laughs> who's, doing video, who's doing video remixes. Two completely different. They're very similar. Well in done. That, Bravo. Very similar in that you're hunting down somebody. But in this case, I was specifically referencing the Wintermute built collages in Count Zero for a reason. There you go. Thank I'm you. I'm sorry. I just had to get that on my Are we excited about the peripheral being made into a, a TV show? Oh, my show? gosh. I'm so excited. I plan on I plan on, 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 on assessing on its own merits, but I'm also really looking forward to seeing how Gibson gets adapted yeah. as a serial format. I, I mean, love I'm William huge. Gibson. Of course, yes. he wrote Neuromancer, which was transformational. Oh my gosh! Cyberpunk. I, I would argue the Blue Ant trilogy is probably the most accurate future casting of the 21st century oh, that we've it, seen so it. far. The Blue okay. Ant—it's—it's it's pattern recognition, um, okay. spook country, 
and um, oh my gosh, I'm blanking. I'm reading the and, peripheral and, um, now. I didn't read it before because I want to read it before history. the TV show yeah. comes out. But <laughs> How he, to sink your he has a great this concept of pults, which are mm-hmm. poltergeists, basically, yeah. which are spirits from a, another previous world, yeah. I guess, mm-hmm. uh, and being used in our world. It's just yeah. fascinating. He's a very... It's, anyway, back to AI uh, art. Sorry. Yeah, no, you were AI. talking about Harvard. Yeah, Harvard has something called the Studio Habits of Mind. There are eight separate habits that they argue contribute to um, an active daily uh, practice of craft and creation. And among those eight habits of mind, you do have um, immerse yourself in the art community yeah. so you can understand it better. Yeah. So... That's a question. We all, how, we, how does AI do that? As, yeah, as Newton count? said, I, if I've seen farther than others, it's because yeah. I stood on the shoulder of giants. We yeah. all mm-hmm. learn from our predecessors, and uh, I learned from Ken Nordine. Mm-hmm. I wish I were as good as Ken Nordine, yeah. but if you said, oh, you can't sound anything like Ken Nordine, well, yeah. come on. That's that's how art works. This is, but uh, now I've seen, like, we saw So I Murdered an Axe Murder on as our Friday Night Family movie, and I, it's such a San Francisco little movie. But Ken Nordine, I was like, oh my God, that's what is Mike he in Myers. That? No, but that's what Mike Myers does as a, as a jazz poet. Because oh, Mike Myers is gain. This is how you can tell it's fiction, is Mike Myers is gainfully employed as a jazz poet. And. Um, <laughs> And, does he wear and a black beret and he does, his but there's the snapping, and it really, I like when you introduced me to Nordine, I was like, Oh my God! I've heard this before, and I just realized it was a pastiche tribute. Uh, oh my gosh! I love when those things click in your head. It's so I know, much fun. It's so exciting. But to address what you were talking about, Shelley, I think you should be able to use yeah. AI generators yeah. as a small blog for illustrations. Here's what uh, Ben Thompson on his blog Stratechery, oh, which such he a good blog, normally illustrates mm-hmm. with napkin drawings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> he, he went to Mid Journey, so he's writing about his first job as a paperboy. He went to Mid Journey and created an image. I think these are beautiful. Well, I don't is, think is there's so anything... Much is it so much similar to a DJ, you know, mixing, you know, grabbing sounds to mix mix their music? I mean, we, we sort of have a long Sad tradition boy. of yeah. integrating other people's work yeah, into I, our work, some of which is legitimate, and, some of which isn't. And I guess the point I was trying to make was not so much that it shouldn't exist, but that there should be full disclosure about the provenance of something so that whether your goal is to protect the interests of a living artist or whether you're just trying to give credit where credit is due or whether you find something beautiful and want to know whether you're allowed to use it or not, you know what the source is. And I, I think what specifically referencing what, what Getty's doing mm-hmm. is that, I mean, they're, they're banning it because frankly, they probably don't know enough about it. And they're probably saying, well, we need to make it go away until either we figure it out or until the culture at large figures it out and then we can be sort of a trailing edge because they're Getty and they make an awful lot of money doing this stuff. They they don't want Greg Rukowski coming after them. And I don't don't blame (laughs) them. And I'm thinking about it as a user and I, you know, as a potential Mm -hmm. Getty customer, I'm thinking, I appreciate that. It doesn't mean that I'm being a Luddite in terms of whether AI art is a good or a bad thing. It just means... Let's understand the implications of it mm-hmm. before we throw I'm, it out there I'm into a in context where we don't have full yeah. rights. You I, know, I screw rights. I'm all. Of course, <laughs> I just played like four movie cuts that yeah. I. But honestly, you know, I in fact I even said uh, we need to install stable diffusion on a computer here mm-hmm. so we could start using it for thumbnails for our shows or mm-hmm. album art stuff. I mean, look, we hired and used a very good. Uh, design company to, to redo our album art a few weeks ago. We paid a lot of money for it, and I'm glad to do it, and I wouldn't want to replace the mm-hmm. human artist. That's, to me, the bigger question is, like, are these going to get so good that you don't need humans to do it? Mm-hmm. I don't think that's a problem, but uh, I'm not worried about appropriation. I think this is this is art. 
this is something uh, Larry Lessig, when he started Creative Commons, and Cory Doctor have talked a lot about. No artist creates in a vacuum. No. And, and that's why stuff has to go out of copyright. That's why you need a public sure. domain. Because, you know, Disney, you know, did the Brim's fairy tales, right? And, of course, right. as soon as Disney made those movies, he made sure that no one else would do it. He pulled the ladder right up out behind him. But that's not how it works. It should work. We continue to, you know, that's the grist for the mill. That's the, so I don't think I have a problem at all with these even if, just because they're AIs, I mean, I don't think that's a, that's problematic. Uh, let's let let them go. There's, and I think it's really interesting how it's exploded as soon as people could install it on their own computer, right? right. When there was a limited access to Dolly, and it, you know, you have to get in. I've I applied for an invitation. I've never gotten an mm -hmm. invitation. Years, you know, it seems feels like years, months later. Uh, but I can run Mid Journey. Uh, I can run a Stable Diffusion on my own computer. Now, OpenAI has open-sourced a speech recognition system. And I think we're going to maybe see the same explosion, the Cambrian explosion we've seen of art, with this. It's called Whisper. It has a variety of different training uh, models. I guess this, I have to go to the site to see this. Uh, you can download it. It's written in uh, Python. Uh, and, when you, and it's a command line. But apparently, for people who have been using it, it's better than anything Google or Apple or anybody else is doing. Oh, wow. Now, there are people, transcriptionists, who mm -hmm. say, well, that's, now I'm out of a job. There's Otter AI and mm -hmm. other companies that are selling this. Um, that's life, right? The thing I'm super curious about is how well will they handle accents? Apparently very well. How well do they handle speech impediments? That I don't know, but apparently it's surprisingly, mm -hmm. from the reviews I've read, surprisingly good at accented mm -hmm. speech. You have uh, multilingual models, so that means you could translate from one language into another and mm -hmm. transcribe it. Um, I don't know. I think this is very interesting. 680,000 hours of audio yeah. uh, collected from the Internet. <laughs> yeah, they can have all my and, shows. And there, there, there are questions about how much of what they've collected is fully representative, whether it's, whether it's accents or whether it's uh, speakers in different countries with different uh, sort of um, not dialects so much as just different patterns. Of yeah, it might be Castilian sort of uh, Spanish versus Mexican right, Spanish. Right, yeah. right. And so, and so there, there are potential issues. I think the open source is the secret sauce of it because exactly. um, there, there are lots of people who are very critical of uh, Google's captions, for example, they are yeah. affectionately referred to in the hearing impaired community as craptions. <laughs> and they, they, and then people are skeptical about Apple's got this live captions thing coming out. I don't think mm -hmm. we really know yet how good it is. But but for the people who use it as an accessibility tool, the ability to have text converted to speech is it's amazeballs and it's also really problematic because it doesn't work nearly as well as it should. And the idea of this being open source is that somebody who really wants to train it and make it highly tuned to the needs of somebody who is relying on this to understand material in variety of contexts. Because what I like about Apple's doing, and I don't know how, what Apple's doing, and I don't know how well they're going to do it, is they basically said anything that comes out of your computer, we can turn into speech. Any any. Or into text, rather. And that's ambitious. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be good. But the idea of this being open source is that it can be applied all over the place and yeah. we can continue to, it can continue to learn. So how did, how did that impact uh, that's the writing? Advantage. 
How does that impact rights? Like, like I've thought about, for example, I, I have a lot of audible books, and once in a while I kind of want to read the book. Now, the, the easy solution is to go out and buy the book, right, on Kindle. But I always wondered, could I record the – you know, could I ch- do a transcription of the audible book? Would that be legal if I did it for my own purposes? You know, it would be cumbersome. But but what are the rights issues when you transfer from one medium to another? Well, what's int- I don't know about that, but what is interesting is that happens constantly because uh, screen reader technology or apps that turn – uh, you know, the, the reverse, right? You turn text into speech is, are super common. And so people are taking material that exists in book form and they're, you know, listening to it as, but, as transcription. But, or, but and, Shelley, and, as you know, there, there are special copyright provisions mm-hmm. for materials for Right, blind. but right. But that's, yeah. but, but that stuff is not always handled under those provisions. They exist that, mm-hmm. that, that way, but it's, it happens outside of it. And the quality varies a lot. And people who rely on that technology sort of have to be used to things like synthetic voices, which are getting better. I know we're sort of talking about the reverse of what Whisper is doing. Uh, No, no, but Shell, you bring up a really interesting point, which is right now what I'm reading in the TechCrunch thing is about um, transcription and or captions. Uh, To give an example of, there was a little bit of a kerfluffle at my daughter's school because when the principal sends out messages, it's it's a robo voice and not her real voice. And people were complaining about this until she said in a PTA meeting, look, we serve families who speak 12 different languages in this school. So wow. when she said, so when I send out the robo thing, what they found is it's easier to translate yeah. and have those played mm. in native languages than it would be if she spoke with her natural rhythms, intonations, and dialects. Wow. So there's something going on with the technology that makes robots easier to read and scan. And mm-hmm. it seems like that would be kind of a natural complement to this story, because if you've got an open source thing that can recognize speech and transcribe it, it would not be that hard to slap on another module that then translates it yeah. back into, into audio well, that makes for sense. somebody. Yeah. That makes Which a lot Google of sense, actually. actually does already. Yeah. Google does that. On the, they have an Android app that does that, right? Where you can mm-hmm. speak in one language and it will speak back in another language. Right. Isn't this, though, a great test yeah. of open source versus commercial? Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I personally think by open sourcing it, OpenAI is going incru- you know, improve to impor- improve at a much faster rate. Mm-hmm. Just because people, same with stable diffusion, because people are training it on new data, they're adding new data, they're adding new languages. I just, I love that. And, and frankly, I've been, mm-hmm. and I'm curious actually what the blind community thinks, but I've been very disappointed with the progress Google Apple, Microsoft have made with their transcription stuff. I just, it could be so much better. I mean, it's good. It should have been better once we all started working at home in 2020. It should have been better. Well, before before that, because there's Mm -hmm. there's no reason it couldn't have been better and and not not i think you know what's what's improved is artificial intelligence and machine learning the actual ability to transcribe given you know given pristine text to turn it into speech or given speech that is easily understandable and is well recorded and turned into text a lot of those nuts and bolts have existed and what's changed is we need to use ai because we have accents and because we have so many different languages and because we want to do it faster and all that stuff Mm -hmm. and uh, it, it feels like it predates the pandemic the pandemic is sort of a you know good opportunity to say there's more and more use for it because all, because now it's really required that if you have zoom or microsoft teams or something like that that, that early on in the pandemic zoom got better uh captioning ability than it had before right. and it was because people with disabilities were like hey i'm in zoom meetings and i can't hear what's being said i need captioning and so zoom had to hurry up and improve their captioning ability uh 
so this would be a hard thing to caption. Uh, passengers on a recent American Airlines flight were puzzled <laughs> by what seemed to be a hack of their PA system. Uh, let me see if I can play this for you. I don't know if this video has been removed. No, here it is. This is a uh, a guy on the weirdest flight ever. His name is Emerson Collins. Mm. These sounds started on the intercom before takeoff. Continued throughout the flight. The flight deck said, as far as we could tell, it's no danger to us, so we're just going to keep on going. Uh, listen, you tell me what you think these sounds are. And then American Airlines said, Who is having a puke yank? (laughs) No, they did not say that. Oh, wow. I don't know what that is. Don't tell me. It sounds terrible, whatever it It is. It is terrible. Uh, American Airlines, in a a press release or whatever, uh, said, um, well, let me me read this to you because I have, I want to give them the, the PA system is wired. It's not Wi-Fi. It's not Bluetooth. Uh, American Airlines inspected the Boeing 737-800 as well as the PA system when the plane landed. Maintenance, quote, determined the sounds were caused by an issue with the PA amplifier. There was no access to the system. My favorite detail was that it started right after one of those credit card ads. That <laughs> it did. <laughs> it happened at the very end of the credit card offer announcement mm-hmm. before the attendant could hang up the phone. I hate that. They do that on the planes. They try to, in fact, oh. I fell for it once. And then another story. Oh. Uh, she didn't know what to do since it happened basically while she was on. Three supervisors or Air American Airlines management just went on board before first class. So they couldn't figure it out. And they still, as far as I know, haven't figured it out. Uh, in fact, some have tweeted something similar happened on an Airbus. So I don't, John, is, do you know of any way that an analog amplifier could be modified to make it sound like a human going, <laughs> I don't, I don't think so. Let me play it one more time because I want you to listen and be the judge. I love this guy's <laughs> facial expression. <laughs> no idea. I don't know. Maybe maybe this will be a mystery. Messed forever. up. That's messed up. But without up. him, it wouldn't be nearly as much fun. Yeah. You got to watch. One more commercial before we. Uh, I have a few extra sh- uh, stories, but uh, we're about ready to wrap it up. If you're wondering, mm-hmm. I know. You know, <laughs> we got uh, the House of the Dragon to watch. We got got places to be, things to do. Our show today brought to you though, and I got to give him a lot of credit by Audible. 
audiobooks from Audible saved my life. You know, when we came back from the concert, John, on uh, Friday night, and I was driving back, Lisa and I were reminiscing about commutes. I used to commute for 13 years from San Francisco to Petaluma. An hour, if there's no traffic, if there's traffic two hours each way, that's as from two to four hours a day sitting in a car. I got so sick of listening to the radio that Audible came along. And I joined Audible 22 years ago, and it saved my life. Audiobooks from Audible are the best way you can spend time in the car, washing dishes, walking the dog. Anytime you can't hold a book, you can listen to audiobooks on Audible in every genre, from bestsellers to new releases to celebrity memoirs to mysteries and thrillers to motivation, wellness, business, and more. There's Audible Originals. For In fact, I'm thrilled because Audible uh, has, in their Frontiers series, resurrected some of the great science fiction novels that were never audio and have put them on audio and done such a good job recording them. They have they have the Sandman, Neil Gaiman's Sandman, far better than the TV show to listen to the radio play that Neil put together. Incredible parts one and two. Steve Martin, his Born Standing Up is is a you have to listen to the audiobook version. It's so good. Renowned experts, exciting new voices in audio, even podcasts, commercial free. As an Audible member, you get to choose a title a month. To keep from their entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. But then you also get access to Audible Originals, podcasts too. You can listen to all you want. More get added every month. It's a great selection. In fact, I'm really thrilled because Steve Gibson's been telling me about this great science fiction series that he's loving called The Silver Ships by S.J. Yucha. Uh, There are, I think, let me just see. I think there's like 20 of them. Right. Uh, It's just it's a very, very, very long series. And Steve likes these. Yeah, there's like 20 of them. Uh, So I bought the first one, loving it. Then I discovered that many of the rest of them are already in my Audible uh, libraries, part of the Audible originals. That's so exciting. That's just one of the great things about Audible. I've never run out of great things to listen to as an Audible member for 22 years. They stay in your library. You can listen to them anytime. And I just, you know, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, uh, I love the Sound Plus music stuff they do. I have the, you know, you listen to an artist talking about her music, uh, and then they play the music. It's just fantastic. In fact, I'm going to add a few William Gibson novels to my Audible list. Larry, you said you were listening to something. Um, I listen to, uh, I'm listening to Jonathan Lemire at The Big Lie. Oh, uh, I listen to a lot of fiction. I I mostly like fiction on Audible, but I listen to everything. You know what I do? I alternate. Yeah, I, yeah, uh, pretty much. Because I listen. If I listen to uh, a lot of uh, fiction, then I want to hear some nonfiction and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Lately, I've been on a bit of a science fiction binge. So, but what's great is I, I talked earlier about my Fitbit diet, and it means I do a lot of walking to exactly to calories, and that's when I listen. Walking is so good yeah. for you. Yeah. yeah. And my favorite day of the month is the 22nd because that's when I get my Audible credit. In fact, I think for me, the retention's even better. There's some audiobooks on Audible that I think are the life of Pi I listened to instead of reading. And it, it was, I was sobbing at the end. It was, it came alive for me. I really identified with it. Um, 
You can listen in the Audible app anywhere, anytime. I even have Audible now on my new watch, and I downloaded the Silver Ships to my watch, so I put in my AirPods and I can go for a walk. Don't even have to have my phone and listen to my audiobooks while traveling, working out, walking, doing chores. Let Audible help you discover new ways to laugh, be inspired, or be entertained. If you've not yet joined Audible, and God knows we've been talking about it for 22 years, it feels like, you can do it. For 30 days free when you go to audible.com slash twit, A-U-D-I-B-L-E dot com slash twit or text twit to 500-500. If you've seen my interviews with Andy Weir, who uh, wrote the amazing The Martian and his latest Project Hail Mary, so good. But let me tell you, the audiobooks are even better because the guy he gets to read his audiobooks has that, he's got the snarky style and sound. It's so, so good. I love it. Text TWIT to 500-500 to try Audible for free for 30 days or go to audible.com slash TWIT. Ah, okay. I could go on and on for Audible, on Audible for hours. You listen, you, Shelly, you must listen to audiobooks, yeah? Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I listen to quite a bit of, audio, quite a I love of audiobooks. It. I love it. I, you know, I... As I get older, my eyes get tireder. Uh, you know, it's the only, and uh, you know, I try to read a book in bed at night. I get one page, and then it hits me in the nose. So it's just really, it's just really better. Uh, I think it's a better way to enjoy uh, uh, reading. Better than Nyquil chicken. Yeah, it's the yes. It is much definitely better than Nyquil chicken. <laughs> Uh, I'm sure that's Audible's new slogan. <laughs> Better than NyQuil chicken. Yeah, that's good. I like it. I like it. I want to cut it out. <laughs> um, James Earl Jones, the voice of Obi-Wan Kenobi. No, James Darth Earl Jones. Vader. What a nerd are you? <laughs> okay, forget it. Let's, let me Alan Guinness, somewhere from the grave. Like, what am I, shop liver? Leo, Leo. Well, I actually want to ask you about it. Well, all right. First, I've got to show you the promo. I forgot. This is what you missed if you missed a minute of Twit this week. Watch. Okay, it's called It's Bananas. Yeah. And it is the monkey tail game. You get two monkey tails, and then it comes with a belt, and the belt goes around. Wait, you have to you wear waist. it? Yeah, you got to wear yes. your monkey tail. <laughs> and now you have to walk around <laughs> and bend down and loop. And all right, I'm getting this. It's, it's a riot. <laughs> Previously on Twit. Coming up next on Hands-On Windows, we're going to finally take a look at Windows setup and what has changed in Windows 11 version 22H2. Some of it may surprise you. This week in Enterprise Tech. 40% of surveyed data scientists, business analysts, and students have scaled back their use of open source components since vulnerabilities in open source components have forced them to reevaluate the code frequently used in analysis and the creation of machine learning models. All about Android. Here is my Z Fold 4. Oh, it looks so As stylish. As you can see, I have a cute Kate Spade case on it. Um, they, it is a portable tablet device to the point that using it when it's closed might feel a little awkward because this is a slightly more narrow uh, phone than what you're used to in the Android world. It, it's like this slightly thinner brick 
Mm-hmm. Um, you can look through it. Twit. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> like a viewmaster. It doesn't close all the way. <laughs> I can definitely see through it. Oh, that's yeah. weird. Mm-hmm. I didn't. They all have folds? I'm so jealous. Uh, make sure you what watch. What is that monkey tail? That is that obscene. a stupidest? I bought one immediately after you showed it. <laughs> you know why? It's actually a good reason. When the family gets together for Christmas or mm-hmm. Thanksgiving, we need something so that we don't talk about politics, right? Oh. So I, we always have a stupid game that gets everybody laughing. In this case, a monkey tail that you have to hook stuff with is nuts. Mm-hmm. So we always have this stupid game so that nobody will talk politics. If you're looking for another stupid game, yes, Exploding Kittens game. Oh, po- that's wonderful. Poetry for Neanderthals. Oh, because the deal it's a it's a game where you have to describe a word on a you have to describe the word in the card using only one syllable words. <laughs> so if it's marshmallow, it's being sweet, sweet, soft, square. That's great. I'm ordering. And it. the thing is, here's oh, the thing: that. is if you do not. If you if you deviate from the one syllable, the opposing team gets to hit you with a giant inflatable bat called the No No Club. Okay, so it's highly recommend poetry for, for cavemen. Yeah, yes, I'm in. poetry Neanderthals. for Neanderthals. Yes, yes. so although my, my nephews who are in high school, I'm going to enjoy hitting them on the head with Brr. it. Is we, we played with a, we played with a bunch of people who are smart enough to get into UC Berkeley, and they were like stumped. That oh yeah, they, they single were, syllables. <laughs> yes, exactly. It was a delight. I don't know them. any words at once. <laughs> So I went to I, UC Berkeley. I don't think I'm that smart. <laughs> <laughs> My trainer went to Cal, and he can't count to 20. At least yeah. when I'm lifting weights, he can't. So uh, every time, he says, how many is that? I don't know. Mm-hmm. So uh, we were talking about James Earl Jones, not Alec Guinness. Although I do love every Alec Guinness movie ever made. The man in the in the gray suit and, or white Even suit. Even Murder by Death. Murder by Death. That's a, not, it's a later one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but... James Earl Jones, I just learned from the chat room's first movie was, anybody? The Great White Hope? No. Or no. Older than that. He had a bit part in a very famous movie you might know as Dr. Strangelove. Oh, oh that's yeah. right. Ready, I sir. should know that. Bomb using master safety on this electronic the, No spoilers. That's, uh, this uh, is... Bomb fusing master safety on electronic Nice. Isn't that amazing? Young man. His I, very first I knew first that somewhere role. in the back of my brain, and I forgot it. Oh, Lieutenant well. Lieutenant Luther, Luther Zog. Okay. We're on trivia. <laughs> so, uh, he's also, as you point out, the voice of mm-hmm. Obi-Wan came out. No, Doctor- Darth Vader. <laughs> uh, I just do that to make you crazy. But of course, he's 91 now, which mm-hmm. I didn't realize. Really? Yes. Wow. And his voice is not this the one you're used to. Mm-hmm. So there is a company in Ukraine. This is from Vanity Fair. Mm-hmm. Uh, their company is called Respeecher. By the way, they're doing some of this work from bomb shelters because... Uh, you know, they're in Kiev and Lviv and so forth, that is working on voice synthesis for James Earl Jones for future, because Darth Vader's voice can't change, mm-hmm. for future Star Wars TV and movies. Uh, the last time he had actual dialogue was in The Rise of Skywalker. And at that point, he told Lucas, he said, um, or Disney, I guess, uh, he's looking at winding down. So they hired Reese Speecher, and James Earl Jones has given them full license to duplicate his voice. In fact, uh, Jones' family told them how pleased they were with the result of the work. 
giving his voice back, you know, to the galactic. I, I'm really glad that he, they have a license to do that. They're just not bootlegging his yes. voice. And they're not right. saying, well, you and that he benefits from it. We own you. Yeah. 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 So uh, and I, I don't know if his contract is better because he's James Earl Jones and has the ability to benefit from it and sign off on it than somebody else who was hired as a voice actor in something and then their character goes on to become important and they want to reuse it, he which was, I'm sure has happened many times. He was for a long time, as I remember, pissed off about CNN. This is CNN. This is mm-hmm. you know the world's whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, apparently he was there doing an interview or something and somebody kind of said, hey, could you say... The, oh, really? Yeah, the world's yeah. most important news network or something. I can't remember what it is. They haven't used it lately. So yeah. they basically did like in Bowfinger where you kind of abs- accidentally captured the... Uh... They got him to say it to a microphone and then used it. Wow. And he was Forever. a little miffed. They eventually yeah. made him whole. They settled. Well, this can we t- do, does the article go into detail about the tremendous amount of tech expertise that goes into generating his voice both from a here's how we did a perspective and also a here's how we did it while our country is currently being shelled perspective yeah they do because that's yeah. what i'm interested in they do these people maintain a phenomenal continuity of it operations while they were being shelled yeah bogdan and i wonder believ was working from home when the air raid sirens went off <laughs> begins yeah. the article they wow. hadn't mm-hmm. been heard in the city of lviv since world war ii but it was february 24th and russia had just invaded Ukraine when we heard that missiles were attacking and that our internet connection was dropping from parts of the country. We got into shelter, says Bogdan. That meant him, his wife, their dog, and two cats huddling in the center of their building. It's a shelter in quotes because it was actually our bathroom. There's a rule of two walls. Get ready for this. You need to be behind two walls. The first wall takes the impact. The second one stops the small shrapnel. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for Believ, the work continued because he needed it to. People on the other side of the world were relying on them. The project was a culmination of a passion he'd had since childhood Star Wars. He's a synthetic speech artist at the Ukrainian startup Respeecher. They use archival recordings and a proprietary AI algorithm to create new dialogue with the voices of performers from long ago. Maybe they can get Putin to uh, surrender. <laughs> speech. Just... Hey, um, hey, Vlad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he, they worked with Lucasfilm to generate the voice of a young Luke Skywalker for the book of Boba Fett. Uh, they, they needed to make James Earl Jones sound like Darth Vader from 45 years ago for the Obi-Wan Kenobi series. Um, and, uh, and even though they were under invasion in shelters all over the country, uh, they continued working because... You realize this means that a twit could go on for the next 200 years. I am so thrilled about that. They can. I have hundreds of thousands of hours of my voice. (laughs) If they can't fake it by now, I love it. I love it. Uh, Mozilla has said that despite the fact that Google's Chrome and all the Chromium derivatives are going to a new manifest, Manifest V3, which will effectively make it impossible for ad blockers to work. I wonder why Google would do that. (laughs) I don't know. Mozilla has said Firefox will continue to maintain compatibility with Manifest V2, which means, for instance, that uBlock Origin, which is the ad blocker I recommend and we all use around here, will continue to work, not with Chrome, not with Edge, not with any other Chromium-based browser, but will continue to work. It's the web request API they need uh, so that they can 
see the content as it's coming through and block it uh, appropriately. Um, so there are manifest V3 compatible ad blockers, but its operation is somewhat limited by the lack of that API. What's the market share that... Uh, well, no one knows because he gives it away. Well, no, I was going to say in terms of who's using what browser, do we have oh, a... Yes, I'm sure there is. I think Mozilla is a laggard. Yeah, because um, it's fantastic technology, but if it's fantastic technology that doesn't significantly impact a huge percentage of web users. I'm, as you can see here, yeah. using uh, Firefox, and I've uh -huh. used it for years. So that line at the very top of the graph, yeah, that green line, 70%. what do you think that is? That's Chrome. This is globally, according to Statista. Yeah. Yeah. Or I'm sorry, StatCounter.com. Mm -hmm. Chrome is 65% of the browser market. Yeah. Number two... Safari, because mm -hmm. you've got no choice. It's on iPhones. Yeah. It's on phones and tablets, yeah. Yeah, 18 percent. Yeah. And then there's a big clump at the bottom starting mm. with Firefox, 3 percent as of last month. It's kind of hilarious. This is how Safari has managed to actually keep any position as, well, we dominate right. the mobiles. Yeah, we just lock you in. Exactly. You can't use anything but Safari. Even if you're using Chrome yeah. on iOS, you're using WebKit, so... Mm -hmm. Uh, I use Firefox for that reason also. I want to make sure that it is not a monoculture in the in the browser world. Yeah. We need we need yeah. some competition. Yeah, I, I do too, and I've been happy with it. It's it's, it's you're great. making a point, but yeah. it's also a really good browser. Yeah, I love Got everything extensions it does. that I so want. Does I can save my bookmarks. Those are you know. exactly yeah. Does the story basically mean the end of effective ad blocking technology for people on the world's number one browser or, or on the number one browser share? Well, this is an interesting question because Safari's done somewhat something the same similar, right? Mm -hmm. And you, the ad blockers on Safari, in my opinion, are very weak, <laughs> yeah. right? You can mm -hmm. get them, but I think because they've done something similar, now Google's excuse is going to be, well, this is a security thing. We don't <laughs> want third-party extensions to be able to watch your traffic. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you want an ad blocker, that's that's kind of a necessity. Mm -hmm. So, uh, it's like yeah. Apple's excuse for controlling the app store, not letting independent security. Uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's all about security. Protect the yeah. children. Yeah, we're doing it it's for all about you. Protecting right. children. Yeah. All right, one last, since we're talking movies, one last Star Trek the motion picture finally done. Now, you may think <laughs> that you saw <laughs> Star Trek the motion picture <laughs> 43 years ago, uh, but it was a. Th it, now, uh, Robert Wise, who directed it, uh, always thought it was, a, it was thin gruel. He eventually released a director's cut in the year 2000. On DVD, but even then, it wasn't what he intended. The reason is there were so many tie-ins, there were so many theaters that were expecting Star Trek: The Motion Picture, which incidentally uh, was scheduled to come out just just right before this thing called Star Wars, <laughs> and they 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 could they literally could not let it slip. In fact, uh, when they had the the preview, Robert Wise delivered the last. Real, real of the film literally wet with the chemicals from the developer mm -hmm. uh he he says he flew to washington dc for the premiere slept with the film under his bed that night and brought it into the theater uh and and the problem was it was a rough cut and there's actually this great uh, article in uprocks talking about what a rough cut is it's the first pass at the editing where you're just getting everything in order and then you're going to tighten it up you're going to shorten by a frame or two or many you're gonna you're gonna have have it work better. They never got to do that. So, if you've been waiting for it, there's a fella who has been uh, editing this ever since. <laughs> he says 1,500 additional edits, 
And uh, this is his name is David Fine. Robert Weiss died about mm-hmm. 15 years ago. Uh, has been working on this ever since. He's, they've been releasing a 4K disc, which is important too because the original effects were not 4K. Right. So they remastered the effects, which were done by Douglas Trumbull. The guy who wrote this article said, Mike Ryan, who's a senior entertainment writer at Uproc, said, this is the most gorgeous, stunning creation, literally one of the most beautiful movies I've ever seen. So I can't wait. Uh, 15 or so, 100 edits or so, he says the motion picture, Star Trek The Motion Picture is finally a film that feels properly paced, looks stunning, and uh, no longer keeps the viewers at arm's length. So maybe that should be, that's a vintage film 43 years ago. I mean, I'm... The, this, the article sounded almost hyperbolic because my memory, and I, it's been a really long time since I've seen Star Trek The Motion Picture, and I felt like most people do, meh, especially when you see The Wrath of Khan afterwards, and you're like, oh, that's how we do Star Trek. Exactly. Movie. And so reading this, I guess I'm having trouble thinking about editing and pacing and even improvements visually making that so much better a movie. I would absolutely watch it, 100%. Um, and as as we joke over on the incomparable, that's entirely too new a movie for my show. <laughs> I will watch it on somebody else's show. Isn't it show. kind of mind boggling that it's forty three years old? That to me, are is you every everything mind boggles that it's forty years old? Yeah. I've been watching a fair number of seventies and eighties movies recently just for giggles, and yeah, the age of them relative to my own life experience is just annoying. But they also look pretty dated. I have to say, there was a period the film went through sure. where it really was. More dated than even older films for some reason. Yeah. Well, um, you have expectations. Like if you, once you sort of get into, you know, and black and white, I think changes it too. Like you're like, okay, I'm in a different world. I'm in a black and white movie. But if you see a dated looking color movie from the 70s, or especially oh, yeah. if it's something like with science, with sci-fi and special effects and stuff like that, I think that's probably more annoying than just sort of a, some sort of family drama I, from I, the I, mid 50s. It's black and white. I still like early Technicolor. I mean, I don't know. I'm a sucker for that. There is a look to it. Super saturated. Yeah. Yeah, There is a look to it that I love. Anyway, I thought I'd mention that. I'm a Star Trek fan. I'm sure many of our listeners are. Uh, It is on, it's going to come out on DVD on UHD, but I I will hope that the streamers will pick it up at some point because I haven't bought a DVD in a long time. Yeah, me neither. My my Blu-ray player broke and I haven't even replaced it. We were, we went to, uh, Lisa and I went to see, and I think mentioned this before, um, Motley Crue. And um, and Def Leppard and uh, the Shriners were circulating, uh, raising money, and they were selling Motley Crue CDs. And so Lisa, being a good citizen, bought one, and so did the people sitting around us. And then we all looked at them and said, "What are we going to do with these? We don't have a we don't have a CD player. Where are we going to put this?" Well, you know how the tipsters and the early aughts got into vinyl, like really into vinyl. You think they'll get into CDs? I would love it if the next generation of hipsters decided that CDs was like their thing to ironically embrace as authenticity. Oh God, I hope I, cer- <laughs> I certainly hope. Not. I don't know. Oh my gosh, I, I could I just, just see it now. Like I wrote like little soul patches and CDs. <laughs> that means that means guys my age will have to start, you know, reviving eight tracks. Yes. Yes. Oh God. Oh. Or cassettes. Yes. Oh my God. I, I never had an eight track, but I had a lot of cassettes. Mm-hmm. Lisa, you're gonna be busy in just a few days. You've I got am. Enterprise Connect is coming up. September 28th. Why don't you give a plug for this? What is it? Sure thing. Enterprise Connect is an in-person 
person show every March where we spend four days diving into the complexities of the communication stack, again, from basic level networking all the way up through demands on call centers, contact centers, up to collaborative communication systems and unified communication systems. We've done a lot with Zoom, Slack, Microsoft Teams has been a big thing for us. One of the topics that we've seen a great amount of interest from our audience is is on hybrid work, namely they're the folks who are responsible for making it work. If you're working at home and you need to troubleshoot Zoom, my readers are the ones who are going to be the, the folks that, that make sure that your meetings still run. If you're in a hybrid situation like we are here where we've got two folks. Yes, on the we are, aren't yeah, we? exactly. I didn't think of that. Yeah, and it's a whole new way of working and, and having conversations. We're pleased to be holding our a, a big virtual event around this. We've got some really great sessions on how to um, – on, on how to identify the issues in the hybrid workplace, what it means to set up a meeting room so it's accessible and, gen- and, and giving everybody an equality of experience, what it means to be transforming a contact center when you no longer have a bunch of people in a bullpen, but they're all over the place. And more importantly, how new 911 regulations are going to work oh. when your workforce is distributed, hmm. but you're still under obligation to make oh. sure that if, if the worst happens, um, Search and rescue can get to them in time. Oh, I didn't even think of that. If you're yeah. working at home, you're still an employee. Yeah. And the company still has a responsibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Holy cow. Yeah. Well, that's going to be interesting. Enterprise Connect. Mm-hmm. You can go to enterpriseconnect.com uh, and register for free. It's free. It's yes, coming up please come. September 28th, 11.30 a.m. to 6 p.m. And yeah. you're the director of the program, so... I bet it's going to be really good. My boss, Eric Krapp, is the one who put this one together. I'm the program co-chair for the live event, Co-chair, okay. But I I have been helping to coordinate coverage of this before the show. Smart. Mm -hmm. Very political. Got to give your boss credit. (laughs) For credits, too. Absolutely. (laughs) Lisa Schmeiser writes for NoJitter.com. Edits it. In charge of it. Mm -hmm. You're editor-in-chief. Yep. Thank you so much for being here. It's so great to see you. And your family's here, so. I know. Hello, family. are Are you the Girl Scout? Where's my cookies? Oh, poor girl. She's now I'm putting her on the spot. You'll have to say you'll have them in the winter, sweetie. Do you have do you have some nuts for me anyway? Uh, no. Not October. Oh, okay. Next next month. Okay. Next month. Yeah. Nice to see. They came to pick you up. They Your did, rides yes. here, Lisa. Yeah, are, so we're gonna yeah. let you go. Uh thank you, Larry Magid. Uh connectsafely.org. Uh you just put out I'm not I shouldn't laugh. The yeah. new Connect Safely Guide to Teen Sextortion. Oh, God, it's not funny, but it's serious. I mean, if if you're a teen, if you have a teenage boy who is getting nude pictures from a teenage girl, well, it probably isn't a girl. It probably isn't oh, a teenager. no. And, and, and don't reciprocate by sending a picture because that person or that crime syndicate may very well oh, get back to you with a financial demand. That's so. a nightmare because you would yeah. be liable. Uh, holy cow. Oh, no, serious stuff. On a brighter note, we have a, if you go to our Explore by Topic section, you'll find some a lot of other new stuff, including a lot of stuff on the metaverse. We are we're not sure how the metaverse is going to turn out or what are, what exactly what it is, but we will try to make it. You as can safe just as be sure it'll be bad for teens. That's all. Well, <laughs> it'll, it'll be more immersive. Put it that way. I know. That's a, that's, we <laughs> we can talk a whole another hour. I don't want uh, if I had. I'm so glad my kids are grown, thirty and twenty seven, because mm-hmm. yeah. I don't know what I would do if I had young kids these these days. I don't know how mm-hmm. you guys do it, but you're good parents. So well, we sure. lucked out with the one we have, yeah. so that helps a lot. Yeah, we'll check you. Yeah. Aw, it's adorable. Adorbs. I'd like to think you'd be a regular reader of Connect Safely. Yeah, so. I'm sure Lisa <laughs> does it all right. You've got quick guides there, educator guides, parent guides. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, also in Spanish, 
uh, lots of information. I think you do. Well, Leo, for you, we do have a guide for online safety for seniors, so don't feel. Oh, thank you. (laughs) I appreciate that. Hey, can you tell me me. how to use my Apple Watch? Because I I can't figure it out. Thank you, Larry. Always great to see you. My pleasure. I like the new look. You do look about twenty years younger. You look fantastic. Yeah, you got your hair shortened a little bit. No more mustache. Well, lost going twenty back to pounds. Yeah. Going back to yeah, you I'm look not great. Doing my own haircuts. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's great, great to see you. And Shelly, boy, it's great to finally meet you and have you on a show. Please come back again and again. You are fantastic. Oh, thanks, Leo. It was my pleasure. I really had a good time. Uh, producer and reporter at Texas Standard, TexasStandard.org, because it's a nonprofit uh, radio show all about Texas. And, of course, at SixColors.com, and you've got a great show on Relay.fm all about old movies. May, may I plug my book as well, oh. just for fun? Yeah, the new one so, is coming uh, out when? But the new one, probably early November. This is the iOS 16 version. It's called iOS Access for All over at iOSAccessBook.com. And it covers all of the accessibility features in iOS in a an exhaustive way. It's it's pretty comprehensive. And uh, the deal I offer is that if you buy the book after Apple has released iOS 16, which they did very recently, uh, then you will get a free copy of the iOS 16 version when it's released. So you get an old book now, but a new book will come to you for free oh. when it's available. So buy the iOS 15 book now, because yeah, a lot of that stuff's still for- good, and then you'll get the new yeah, one totally. when it's ready. That's yeah. actually a very good idea. And uh, do you have Braille editions or uh, you have audio It's EPUB or PDF. People okay. have asked me for both of those things, and uh, Braille is very time-consuming. Yeah. The audio is just fun because I can imagine myself sitting in my little podcast closet reading for hours and hours. But no, EPUB, which is a very accessible format, PDF, Good. which I make accessible, but is less accessible than EPUB. So if you want the absolute best accessible format, and it works on uh, devices that are specifically intended for blind folks like the da- Victor Reader Stream, it's a DAISY-compatible format. So uh, EPUB will fit Perfect. your accessibility needs. Perfect. Hopefully. I bet those voices are getting better. Pretty soon you're going to have yes. James Earl Jones reading to you. That would be right. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Shelley. Great to have you. Thank you. Keep up the good work, all three of you. We do Twit uh, Sunday afternoons about 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern, 2100 UTC. If you're really in a hurry, you can watch us do it live at live.twit.tv. And if you're watching live, please chat with us in the chat room, irc.twit.tv. After the fact, we make on-demand versions of all of our shows available at twit.tv, the website. Or on YouTube, there's a dedicated channel for every show. Uh, That's a good way to share clips from the show. Uh, as long as YouTube doesn't take it down, <laughs> fingers crossed. And uh, we also have, uh, of course, it's a podcast, on-demand versions you can uh, subscribe to in your favorite podcast player, and you'll get it that way automatically, just in time for your Monday morning commute. We also invite you to take a look at Club Twit, uh, an ad-free version of all of our shows. Club Twit is $7 a month, but I think you get a good deal. Not only do you get ad-free versions of all the shows, you get access to the Discord our Club Twit Discord is a really great place to hang out. Uh, I, I feel like uh, it's, it's more than just a chat room about our shows. It's chatting about everything going on in the world, from coding to cooking to photography to ham radio and hardware, uh, even travel, space, and sport ball. It's all in there. Plus, 
Uh, from time to time, I'll play a video game uh, on the stream there. We've been playing Satisfactory lately, which is a lot of fun. Uh, and we have our own Minecraft servers and so forth. So uh, it's really a great community. You also get access to the Twit Plus feed, which is a lot of content that doesn't make it to the podcast, including shows that we don't put out in public because the club pays for them, in effect. Ooh. Brand new shows like Hands on Mac with Micah Sargent, Hands on Windows with Paul Therott, The Untitled Linux Show with Jonathan Bennett, The Giz Fizz with Dick D. Bartolo, Stacey Higginbotham's Book Club. We've got a lot of stuff. In fact, our book club's coming up next month. The book is The Long Way to a Small, Angry Planet. So that's going to be a lot of fun. So Stacy and I and Aunt, uh, Aunt Pruitt is, of course, the club cheerleader. He's the manager there, the community manager at uh, Club Twit. Seven bucks a month. Let's see, that's a pretty good deal. Go to twit.tv slash club twit. There's monthly plans, annual plans, and enterprise plans. Plus, if you have one show and only one show you listen to, you can buy ad-free, a subscription ad-free versions of that show for just $2.99. Twit.tv slash club twit. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. I think it's just time to say uh, have a great evening. We'll see you next week. Another twit is in the can. Bye-bye.